starting the hearing in approximately two minutes. Thank you. Welcome to the Thursday, June 22nd, 2017 City of Sacramento Planning and Design Commission hearing. Thank you for braving the heat today. A few housekeeping items before we get formally started. Uh, if you have a cell phone, if you could please turn it off on silent or vibrate, we would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you have a comment on one of the items, there are comment slips in the back of the room. If you could bring those slips to the front to the Commission Secretary, therefore we can hear uh, your comments we would appreciate it and when you do come uh, to speak about your item uh, please limit your comments to less than three minutes there will be a clock um, that will help you keep time beyond that thanks again for attending tonight's hearing and let's begin with roll Commissioner LaFaso here Commissioner Coville here Hoffman here Lucian Lindsay? Here. Farrell? Here. Lucky Bomb? Here. Rogers? Here. Juan Connolly? Here. Yee? Here. Ogilvy? Here. Vice Chair Burke? Here. Chair Bodipo Memba? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. With item number one, the approval of the meeting minutes from June 8th, 2017. 
could do a voice vote. Commissioner LaFossa, do you have a comment? I move the minutes. Second. We have a motion to approve the minutes from Commissioner LaFosso. A second from Vice Chair Burke. If we could do a voice vote. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Any abstentions? We have a uh, unanimous approval. Thank you. Item number two, the director's report. Ms. Cosgrove. Thank you, Chair. Um, it's customary during the director's report that we talk about uh, staffing changes that are occurring in the community development department. So I wanted to let everyone know that our planning director, Kate Gillespie, has resigned this week due to personal reasons. So we'll begin the process as a department of recruiting uh, for a new planning director. And we wish her much luck and happiness in all of her future endeavors. And that's all that I have for the director's report. Thank you, Ms. Cosgrove. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of all of my colleagues here. We, we definitely thank Kate for her service and her commitment to the city and wish her best of luck as well. Moving on to item number three, public hearing. Item three is P17-011, the market 515 alcohol sales. Do we have any disclosures or recusals? Commissioner Yee. Thank you. I will be recusing. Uh, my firm owns the building across the street from the uh, subject property. Thank you. Commissioner Ogilvie. I will also be recusing. The owner is a client of my employer. Thank you. Commissioner LaFossa. Uh, I'm not recusing. I was just lucky to get a peek inside the building two weeks ago. Thank you. Thank you. I see no other disclosures or recusals. Mr. Abbas, good evening. Good evening, Chair. 011, sorry. I, I think now you can hear me. Um, so I was saying I'm the sign planner for P17011. Uh, request for a conditional use permit to sell alcohol at a grocery store uh, located at 915 R Street. The conditional use permit to sale alcohol is required since the store is less than 15,000 square feet in size. The project is conditioned to limit display area of alcohol to a maximum of 10%, which is consistent with all other grocery stores of greater than 15,000 feet. Staff has not received any comments from the public and is not aware of any opposition. Uh, the police department supports the request as conditioned and has provided a letter of public convenience or necessity. Staff does not have any objections. Uh, and recommends approval of the conditional use permit per the conditions of approval in attachment one. Thank you, Mr. Abbas. Are there any questions for staff or the applicant? Mr. Wong Connolly. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I have a question for staff for clarification. Is the CUP just for the off-site uh, consum uh, consumption only, or it also include on-site beer and wine consumption? Uh, so the on-site sale is uh, permitted by right. So this conditional use permit is for off-site sales. Um, would you explain to me uh, why it is permitted by right? Is that a, in any grocery store? or? It's a type 41 restaurant. So they have uh, food on uh, preparation and sales on site. Okay, so this grocery store, 
uh, has not only the deli counter, it actually has a restaurant inside this grocery store. That's why that it is uh, uh, on site, it's, it's allowed. So they do have uh, um, food prep areas uh, as well as seating uh, to consume the food, yes. Okay, then my question is, uh, uh, would they allow somebody to go to the grocery store to pick up a six-pack beer and then come to order a sandwich and then just uh, sit there to drink the beer? Or they only have to pick up a single bottle from the coolers at the deli where they order the sandwiches? So the off-site uh, CUP would be more for purchasing the six-pack to take off-site. Really, when you're going to the deli, you're buying something because you're going to be drinking it there, and that's a typical 41-type restaurant license. But the scenario I described, it's not uh, prohibited. They can't technically, somebody can go to pick up a six-pack and then go to eat at the counter because of uh, this is a restaurant connected to the grocery store. That's correct. If you're shopping there and you wanted to sit down and eat something as well, that would be permitted. And then the point of sale would be uh, for the six-pack would be go to the uh, cash register instead of go to the deli to pay, right? Operationally, I'm not sure if the deli could also um, sell the beer if they're buying their um, you know, uh, products from the, the deli. That might be a question for the applicant. I'm not sure about that. Sure. Good evening, Commissioners. Brian Holloway, Holloway Land Company, representing Market 515. Um, we are very excited to bring to the Midtown area this um, healthy, organic, cool, new urban, small, neighborhood-serving, walkable, bikeable grocery store. And um, to answer your question, it will have food service inside and then seating out on the loading dock. So it'll be outside dining. Um, if someone purchased wine or beer, um, they would go through the grocery checkout line. Um, if they wanted to then sit down and have something to eat or drink, they would order that either through the deli uh, separately or maybe they may even have a server out on the, on the deck. But you would not be able to purchase a six-pack of beer, go to the deck, and, and open it up. You would have to purchase it being served just like in a restaurant. So although it's a grocery store with an out, out, outdoor restaurant and, and basically deli service, they, they would operate separately and the alcohol would be handled separately. I see. So it's more operating like a restaurant. They cannot, uh, uh, just want to make it clear, so they cannot purchase six-pack beer and then come to sit down at the loading dock. And then, Correct. Uh, and I suspect just like a, 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 unlike a restaurant, you couldn't bring a bottle of wine. You couldn't purchase a bottle of wine, bring it out onto the deck, pay a corkage fee, and, and open it up. I suspect they're not going to do that because it just create too many problems. They want people to order food and beer and wine from the deli and, and have that out on the, um, the loading dock uh, restaurant area, and then the grocery store is separate. Got it. That answered my question. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just a quick follow-up, and this is more a legal question than a what are you going to do question. This is a two-part question. I'll try the right Could you speak sequence. up a little bit, please? So the, all of the, quest, the issues about whether you got to buy a six-pack or a two-pack or that kind of stuff, that's all going to be worked out through the ABC license. and. Is that, has that been determined yet, or is that something that's going to occur 
at some point when they get their final sign-off? The, from the, the alcohol operations um, are really primarily restricted through the, the police department. So we have a lot of conditions about the size of, of um, six packs. We, we won't be able to sell singles at this point in time. Maybe in the future, you know, we'll craft beers as single possibly, but we have a lot of restrictions from the um, police department. And I'd like to thank Officer Juan for getting the time to work out those with us. Okay, I'm going to keep us out of a rabbit hole and not follow up on that. Okay. The bottom line question is, whatever these rules are, singles, two-pack, six-pack, uh -huh. are they going to be sane for off-sale and on-sale? That's my real question. Okay. Are they? I'm not sure. Okay. I probably would ask Officer Juan on that. So your question is, are they the same? I don't know the answer to that. Um, the idea, I would expect yes. The answer should be the same. We, would, we should try to line them up exactly the same. So you couldn't buy a single under this license and walk out, even though this other license that's concurrent works that way. Does that make sense? Uh, no, it makes total sense. And just not to belabor this too much, but I mean, I suspect one isn't going to be able to sit in the in the dining area and order a six pack of beer. You're going to be ordering a drink that's going to be served. It's not going to you know come out as a as a six pack. And then is, is there going to be wait service for the for the on sale? Michael Connors is here from uh, Market Five One Five, and he can answer more of the operational okay issues. Because I'm imagining this kind of like you know Whole Foods or the Co-op or Nugget, where you know you can get lots of on site consume prepared food, but you don't have a, we don't have wait service. You go to a counter. Uh, you would go to a counter for any alcoholic beverages purchased to consume on site that we would have a tap for behind the counter that they would serve you a particular glass. So you anticipate for the on sale activity there might be beer on tap. Yes. Okay. Maybe okay. um, you'll take it out yourself, or they'll have somebody bring it out. Uh, they would probably have somebody bring it out. So they will have a service. Okay. So the reason I'm asking is. Having watched Nuggets and the Co-op and Whole Foods, you know, there's lots of registers, and people can be a little promiscuous in which register they use to buy certain things, mm -hmm. you know, their takeaway stuff and their on-site consumption stuff. And if there are different rules for alcohol, that matters. If it's a question as to whether the the, the sandwich line at the deli is particularly the, – the line at the cash register at the deli is particularly long and there's no line over at the – you know, at the major checkout, I just go over there and buy my sandwich because I'm still paying for it. And but but if the rules are different from the alcohol, then it matters where I go. That that's the reason I'm asking. Mm -hmm. so, so, for example, if you were at the deli and you got a, got a cup of beer, uh, you're not going to be able to go through the the checkout line with the groceries. You're going to have to pay for that at the at deli. They're they're trying to have the deli and the food and beverages focus on the, the in-store in dining at the, at the, the deck. So if there's a two-pack, so if there's a two-pack or six-pack rule for, for off-sale consumption and there is a different rule for on-sale consumption, it will be regulated because you'll have to go to the cash register at the deli to get your single for on-sale consumption if you're not allowed to get a single for off-sale consumption. And I suspect it will be put in a glass. I don't expect you to be able to take a bottle out. 
Is that going to be in the conditions? It's not presently in the condition, but I suspect that would be how they would operate. Um, after the public comment, I'll no, let me ask one more question. Sure. Is this the practice for other upscale uh, uh, food food sellers that have high-end prepared food and alcohol? I'm not aware of any others in the in the area that do that. So that for me, this is a new concept, as is the whole 515 market. I understand that the, the, the issues around alcohol are somewhat conceptual and somewhat legal. I mean, the real, the real underlying question is, is this an opportunity to sell singles that's been afforded to 515's competitors in a manner that carries these restrictions, which is say you can, you can sell singles, as long as you, A, put them in a glass, or maybe B, have them brought out, or maybe C, just do it on tap. That would be my suspicion. Um, okay. I'll pursue this further after public comment. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. I see no further questions from the commissioners. We have read uh, conditions of approval and are in agreement with all of them. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Commissioner Wonkonley, do you have another question for staff? Sure. Second one. I read through the conditions. I didn't read the six-pack condition that you usually put in there. Maybe I missed it uh, for the off-site consumption. Yeah, so we as a city decided as policy not to continue to use those conditions on the use permit themselves under advice from our attorneys. So it doesn't change the city standards about whether it's six packs or singles, sizes of wine, any of that stuff. We have been in the past doing concurrent um, regulations, both on the ABC license and the conditional use permit. And then I think around November, uh, we had a, a city attorney opinion that uh, we shouldn't be doing that. So we're not doing that anymore. Because it's covered by the ABC license. That's why you are not regulating. Right. But then you are not put it as a condition. That means you are not regulating. ABC will regulate this, right? Right. So the, the ABC process is different, separate. Another person handles that, and they are responsible to work with ABC to get the conditions on the ABC license. Um, Sergeant Wong, I think City Attorney would like to step in. Happy to. What Sergeant Wong just said is correct. So under the California Constitution, Article 20, Section 22, the ABC is vested with the authority to regulate the sale, purchase, transportation, distribution of alcohol. You have typically, you have seen in the past conditions that say no singles, no, you know, various conditions. We don't believe that's lawful, um, that really that's the purview of the ABC. So practically speaking, Sergeant Juan and his staff work directly with the ABC, and those conditions are folded in to the ABC license. They're not put on our CUPs. Thank you. And um, my second question is, uh, um, so for the on-site uh, consumption, the, the restaurant side, uh, does the police department has any um, conditions to them uh, about uh, what uh, Commissioner LaFaso mentioned, that uh, they got to serve in the tab instead of people to walk in with a single bottle? Right, we would have the same op opportunity to do conditions on, on both of those two licenses that they're going to have. 
And so um, I would expect those conditions to be similar because we would, we would be trying to prevent the kind of runaround that I think uh, Commissioner LaFaso is trying to get at where you don't go through this line, you can only get a six-pack, but you go through this other line, you can walk away with a single and go behind and sell it. And if I can clarify something you were asking before, I, I wasn't sure, but um, the amount of food and the variety of food they're selling is good enough for ABC to make it a restaurant. It may not be the kind of restaurant that you and I consider, but if you think of like a pizza place, that's a restaurant. Um, even Starbucks's are considered restaurants under, C, uh, under ABC law. So it's, it may not be the kind of restaurant that we all think of as a restaurant, but under ABC regulations, it's considered a restaurant because they have a variety of foods that you can eat on the premises. I see. And then that license will be specific. There will be a drawing that ABC has that's very specific about where the alcohol can be consumed, and that will only be where you can consume it. You can't go in the parking lot and consume it or behind the building. It will have to be done within the little area that they have specified. Uh, has those conditions been drafted by the ABC and they are regulating, or would that eventually come to the oh. commission for any reason? No. So, and the answer, I, I, the answer is I'm not sure exactly where we are with that right now. That's not something I particularly do, I and we're in a little bit of a trance mix of people staffing uh, in our office, and so um, I've gotten a couple different answers on that. And so, at some point, we'll get that that part settled. Does staff have anything to add? Well, I, I can say that usually when they're um, putting together the public convenience or necessity letter, we have another um, person in the police department, Don, who will um, look at the conditions for the ABC licenses as a part of issuing that PCRN letter. So I would assume that Don has, has looked at it um, already, but that wouldn't be a part of the, the staff report necessarily. You have the letter at the end saying that the public convenience or necessity has been served, and that's because they feel it complies with the Title V requirements. Uh, how about the conditions for the restaurant? That's, I know that's not a, uh, the project presented to us right now. It's not part of the COP, but where is that uh, uh, in the process? Is that going to be coming to uh, the commission or no? No, uh, we do uh, 41 licenses all the time, and, and those are by right, and so they work with the police department and ABC, and it, it doesn't come to any hearing body. Okay, got it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wong-Conley. One other question from Commissioner LaFaso. Sergeant Wong. Uh, if, of course, it is inconceivable that a state agency action that is preempted from local government would be subjected to a local government legislative body public hearing. That's easy. <laughs> Pandora's box is now open. So I think in your answer to Ms. Wong Connolly, Sergeant Wong, you said that um, you said we don't precisely know what the conditions are that the city is going to work out with ABC. Um, and I imagine that the applicant, as applicant for a alcoholic beverage license to the Alcohol Beverage Control Department will have something to say about this when it occurs. All that understood is the city anticipating requesting ABC to have a different rule for two-packs, six-packs, whatever, for off-sale versus on-sale consumption. So, okay, interesting question. And I think the answer is no. Um, it's Obviously, it's very in the weeds, as we've talked many times, but 
The off-sale one, our policy has generally been the six packs, the wine and 750, uh, spirits above, I believe, 200. The, and a restaurant, a typical restaurant license like this one would come, if, if it wasn't conditioned, they would have the ability to sell a six pack or a single or whatever off this part of their license. Um, and so what we have done to try to mitigate the potential problems that that might face is that a condition that we might put on there would be no off sales on this license at all. Um, so, you, so that has mitigated that issue in the past. A lot of restaurateurs would say, well, I would sell a six pack for 18 or $20 because restaurant light usually has a higher price point than, than retail. Um, and so on a case-by-case -case basis, I suppose those could go through. But generally speaking, a restaurant, we would say, we would ask ABC to say no off sales on this restaurant license at all. And so um, that's been our policy. That's what we've been doing as a, as a matter of course. Um, whether it always happens that way, it doesn't. But most of the time, and under what we try to do, that's what we try to do. Appreciate that. Um, it's absolutely clear to me this issue will be out of our hands if uh, the applicant's uh, application is successful this evening. SAC PD will still be in the mix. I get the distinct impression from the responses from Mr. Holloway at all that applicant and SAC PD don't entirely see eye to eye on this issue. Um, it, it is what it is, and the only reason I'm drilling down on it, not because I wanted to wade through the complexities of ABC licenses once again, but because I do think two things are important here. Number one, I do think that other uh, natural foods, grocery retailers that are serving prepared food for on-site consumption that might be where patrons might have a desire to enjoy alcoholic beverages with them, all should be treated equally. Um, I, I suppose it's debatable as to whether the concept, quote, end quote, of the applicant is that new. They're certainly marketing it differently because they're calling it a restaurant. And I'm not sure when you go to the Nugget, you think that's a restaurant, even if you get a custom-made sandwich and a custom-made salad and are allowed to get drinks from a variety of places in the store to be part of your, your meal. I'm not sure that makes it a restaurant. It sounds to me like the, uh, the question for competitors who may want to be, want fair treatment is maybe they got to get the right liquor license and they didn't get the right liquor license. But uh, again, the issue is are we really developing a new concept or are we just calling it something differently and are the competitors being afforded the same regulatory treatment be treated equally. That's, that is the issue. We're not going to resolve that tonight, but I appreciate the opportunity to air the issue. Thank you. You got it. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Sergeant Wine. It's allowed time for public comment. Uh, I currently have no comment slips in front of me. Uh, if there's anyone who would like to comment on this item, now would be the time to step forward. Holloway. Chairman, members of the commission, um, talking with the uh, Market 515 representative, we would be comfortable with the condition that Officer Juan suggested about um, the restaurant, deli, whatever, not selling for off-site consumption. I, I'm thinking that might help solve the concern that you have. Thank you, Mr. Holloway. Questions? Commissioner Foster, Any other questions? For Mr. Holloway. 
thank you, Mr. Holloway. Um, did you just — were you just accepting a condition that 515 will not sell any alcoholic beverages for off-site consumption? You're a grocery store. You really want to do that? On the, on the restaurant, that the restaurant — restaurant. That's — no, that's, that's not what I, I'm raising. Oh, okay. I thought that was the concern. If another natural food store that's <clears throat> selling lots of prepared food for on-site consumption, um, I don't believe that all the other ones, if you buy their prepared sandwich or their prepared whatever other food item and you grab a craft beer out of their case and bring it up to the cash register with your, with your freshly prepared sandwich that you could, the, at the deli, whatever mm -hmm. it's called, that you can buy that single craft beer on the bottle, even if you put it in a glass, have it walked out to the table, or whatever the other conditions are. And if that's a new concept, or I'm not trying to quibble with it, and maybe you guys are more creative in how you're approaching the regulation, and you deserve credit for that. But Commissioner LaFosso, I, I hate to interrupt you. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Uh, your condition doesn't address my concern. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, Thank but I, to, to answer your question, that is our concept, that, that, you know, you would purchase it at the deli, your food and your beer and wine, and, and it would either be served out on the deck which a lot, which I'm not sure, I, I'm not aware of another grocery store that allows that to happen. So, Mr. Holloway, I'm, I'm going to ask, since we were opening this up for public comment, okay. I won't, it sounds like there's some comments that Commissioner LaFosso has and some other commissioners may have. I want to make that as a part of the, the motion conversation. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other public comments? Seeing none, uh, we'll close public comments for this item. Now would be the opportunity for commissioners to uh, make motions or provide uh, additional comments or feedback regarding the item. Commissioner LaFosso. And again, I apologize for cutting you off. No, no, that's okay. I was — I wasn't — I actually — because the applicant came up, I thought we, we were out of public comment, so I apologize for that. Um, There's a lot of moving parts to this. I think this has been a good discussion. Um, I'm, I guess I'm disinclined to hardwire the motion with the condition along the lines of what Sergeant Juan says. I still think you guys don't quite see it eye to eye, mainly because if I understand from the city attorney, it would be preempted. <laughs> so it'd be all nice to put it in there, but uh, I, think, I think we're going to have to work with the law as it stands. Um, I move the staff recommendation. All right, we have a motion to move staff recommendation and second from, by Commissioner LaFosso, second by Commissioner Farrell. Any additional comments? Seeing none, I'll just add, I really appreciate the creativity of this concept and the flexibility of the applicant to work with staff. I intend on supporting the motion. We're in position to vote on this item. Commissioner LaFosso? Aye. Coville? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Buckebaum? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations. Moving on to item number four. P16-018, Swanson Oak Subdivision. Before we have a presentation from staff, 
Are there any disclosures or recusals regarding this? And if we could also give some time for Commissioner Yee to come back to the room. Mr. Kaufman. I've spoken with members of the community. Thank you. Seeing no further disclosures. Mr. Norman, good evening. Thank you. Good evening, Chair Budipo Memba, members of the Sacramento Planning and Design Commission. My name is Garrett Norman. I am the project planner for the Swanston Oak subdivision project, file number P16-018. This project is located in the Upper Land Park neighborhood and is at the northwestern corner of Swanston Drive and Santa Buena Way and includes the unbuilt portion of 4th Avenue east of Interstate 5. Before you this evening is a request to subdivide approximately 1.62 acres into 10 parcels for the construction of 10 single-family homes within the single-unit dwelling or R1 zone. The proposal includes house plans for lots 1 through 8. Lots 9 and 10 do not have house plans at this time and will require a separate site plan and design review entitlement in the future. The requested entitlements include a tentative subdivision map to create 10 lots for single-family residential, Tentative map design deviations to create a non-standard permanently dead-ended street and to create parcels with no public street frontage. Site plan and design review with deviations to lot width, depth, setbacks, and bolt control. And a tree permit to remove seven private protected trees. Staff has received several comments expressing concerns about the project which have been provided to you in a supplemental. These concerns were focused on traffic, parking, emergency access, utility, utility infrastructure, and wildlife endangerment. Staff has responded to each of these points of concern in the supplemental handout and within the staff report. To summarize, staff has evaluated the potential impact of traffic with the, additional of, with the addition of 10 homes and found that the existing roadways are well below capacity and can accommodate the increase in traffic from 10 homes. Fourth Avenue is not proposed to connect into Swanson Drive or Santa Buena Way, and approval of the abandonment would preclude a public street connection in the future. Staff finds that there is adequate parking on the adjoining roadways to accommodate guests while not impacting the existing properties based on the discussion of Figure 3 within the staff report. The project has been reviewed by the Fire Department and Department of Utilities to ensure the site can be adequately serviced for emergency services and water and sewer infrastructure. Staff has added conditions that address potential impacts to wildlife species that address provisions of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and state code implemented by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. A second supplemental was prepared that revised one of Public Works conditions to reference the recently adopted code changes to subdivision requirements and to add a new condition on the site plan and design review entitlement that requires all new driveways to be constructed in accordance with city standards. A late comment was received regarding potential flooding concerns. The Department of Utilities reviewed the comment letter and stated it is not uncommon to have ponding water in this area because it is next to the river and is known to have a high groundwater elevation. During high river levels, like what we have seen in February, there will be some areas where there will be ponding. The proposed development will not be at risk for flood 
and there will be and they will be designing their project to comply with the city's current drainage requirements. Staff supports this project because it achieves general plan policy related to infill development by acting, activating a challenging underutilized area within city limits while providing additional housing units. It is compatible with the surrounding single family homes in terms of architectural design, height, and setbacks, and provides additional ownership housing opportunities on a residential infill site close to downtown. In conclusion, staff recommends the Planning and Design Commission approve the project subject to the conditions of approval and based on the findings of fact listed in the staff report. And now I'll turn it over to the applicant, Mr. Michael Moser, to do a brief presentation. Thank you. I won't take a lot of time. Thank you very much, commissioners. I appreciate it. Staff, everybody who worked on this project with me, Kevin Hawker, Antonio, Mr. Garrett Norman, I very much appreciate it. One thing that took me back, and as I was preparing for this hearing tonight, I was shocked by the amount of vitriol that's been associated with these letters. I've been called greedy, selfish, amoral. I've been accused of thinking only of money and not having a regard for historic neighborhoods for the people that have from people that have taken no action to work with us and help plan this project. Every time I buy a piece of property, I think it's a responsible thing to do is put our name and our sign up on a 4 by 8 sign, which we did a week after we purchased this property, letting everybody know that we were involved, we were working on solving a project, and I got one call from one neighbor who wanted to be involved. I think that I'm really not sure where we threw social decorum out the window, but with the rancor that we're hearing out of Washington, I think it should not be tolerated as U.S. commissioners. I think letters that lodge attacks against us personally should be dismissed as inappropriate. It's never appropriate to attack and lodge personal complaints in a land use debate. Um, Garrett described the project very well. I'm available for questions. Thank you. Thank you. We have questions for staff and the applicant. Commissioner Kaufman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Questions for staff. Uh, Garrett, one of the letters raised some questions about safety in the Santa Buena area, sort of at the backside of, of this development. Did you look at that at all? Did you talk to police about that at all? Do you think there is a nexus between this project and any exacerbation of that issue? We did look at that issue, and uh, one thing that planning staff often looks at is when you when you have a a, an, a land area that's not activated currently, and you put residents in the area, it sort of activates it and puts more people in the area to help reduce um, any crime issues that may be existing. So in this um, case, we um, think that the addition of the homes here and putting owners in this area will help reduce crime activity. Is there meaningful crime activity there right now? Uh, I did not study that, nor did I ask the police department. If I may add, when we started this project, there was a large piece of land behind 4th Avenue, or the, that, that was the existing 4th Avenue 
that was not Mr. Moser, could you speak in front of the microphone, please? Sorry. I'm sorry. It was not part of this project. And so when we started, our project did not include 4th Avenue as it ended up there. It was the sergeant, the police sergeant who was here earlier, who really wanted us to incorporate that piece of land because having a vacant piece of land up there, he thought was going to exasperate a crime problem, and they didn't want to have to deal with it. So he wanted us to extend our land all the way up to the end of the gate into the fence with Land Park Woods. So what we did is we went out and discovered who owned that piece of property. We found out. We thought the city of Sacramento owned it. Um, after more research, we found out the city of Sacramento did not own it. And we went forward and negotiated with the owner of the property. We purchased the property and incorporated our final map that we ended up with with all of the lots. That took that this subdivision all the way up to the top. And now it is now con directly contiguous to Land Park Woods. What created was this, the other part of 4th Avenue, when we purchased that, it came with this other piece of 4th Avenue that we had to do something with. And that's how these additional two lots came into play. Was because we had to make that land purchase to complete the request that the police department wanted. I hope that answers that question. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Commissioner Wong Connolly. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, follow up to that question. So that piece of land, uh, it was a city easement, but you're, you're saying that city does not own that land. Somebody else owns it. I, I own the land now. Um, but prior to me purchasing it, it was owned by a, by a foundation. It was not owned by the city. Uh, is that usual for the easement of the city that not owned by the city? I don't know. Yes, it's typical that there's an underlying fee title to the property and a public roadway is, is only an easement over that. If the roadway is abandoned, it goes back, it reverts back to the underlying fee title uh, and it's generally not the city's property. Okay, understand. Thank you for the clarification. I was confused by reading the uh, letters as well. And one uh, question for the staff about the connectivity. So this is uh, the second project recently comes in asking for dead end streets. And I'm a, a little concerned about the more infill project we do. I know this is a unique challenge for infill projects because the neighbors doesn't want the through traffic and then the developers don't, don't like it. And if the city doesn't enforce it, I don't think that we can uphold this long established policy of, connect, of connectivity when you have the, the new development. So I would like uh, maybe the staff can comment that uh, in this particular case, why it's not a good idea uh, other than the neighbor, neighbors that really uh, oppose it to connect the 4th Street, go down to either uh, Santa Buena Way or um, Swanson Drive. Either, uh, is this a planning issue or a public work issue? In, in this project, it, it is a challenging development site. It's only 1.62 acres. It does have limited um, width and depth um, so that if you actually did try to do a public street connection there at the 53-foot width right-of-way, 
uh, it would eat up a majority of that site and not leave uh, much room left over for development. Uh, with the private driveways, the one private driveway coming off the end of 4th and the other one coming north off of Swanson, uh, it allows us to maximize the development uh, there to meet our housing needs. I agree that 53 feet public road might be uh, out of the window through this project, out of the window. But how about the, the private road that look like there is a space that you do a, a loop, a L shape to connect between this side and this uh, on the other side. I, I, I don't know. Can you pull out the, the, if, the if picture? If we did connect that as a, a private road, a private roadway connecting two public streets, except for signage or, or, or maybe a gate, um, it would really put the burden on those property owners who share maintenance of that private drive to bear the burden of, of public access through there, which is generally not something we do with, uh, with private streets. And Antonio, if you, if you look at the placement of the houses, it's, it would be impossible to take a road through there in any, of any width. Um, this is how the houses are placed on the Swanson Oak project. Um, nothing's placed on the 4th Avenue, but you could see that there, there's no room for access. Uh, can I get a comment from the public work to um, if uh, this private road that uh, um Zara Latson from Public Works. Uh, typically, we don't um, we don't normally um, we we normally like connectivity, but in this instance. The area is pretty much built out except for this project site. So we uh, had different departments and, and agencies take a look at the proposed abandonment of the 4th Avenue uh, right-of-way as proposed by this project. And the agencies has supported, uh, had not objected to the abandonment. And um, we don't see it as... Um, significant for circulation in the area. We feel that there is already enough um, streets that would uh, serve circulation in the area. And like Antonio mentioned earlier, we like to facilitate development and um, punching the street through from Fort Avenue to uh, Santa Buena will basically wipe out um, majority of, of the um, project site. The private road. I'm talking about private road. Oh, the private road. Um, the private road is not for public use. So even if they try to connect the to connect the private road from Fort Avenue to Santa Buena, the public is not um, does not have the right to use it. I see. Understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is. Uh, thank you. Mr. Connolly, I'm fully in support of it. Made, I made a promise to the neighborhood. I live on Swanson Drive. I don't break promises when I make them. I promise to the neighborhood that there will be no oh, connection. I, I just want to make sure that, that, that Commissioner Wong Connolly has the ability to answer her or ask her questions. Yes. So. Yeah, actually, my question was addressed by the public work. So. Um, but but, but my, my, my reasoning is that I will support a condition that does not allow the two co to connect. So. Commissioner Wong Conley, additional questions? Yes, I have additional questions for the uh, freeway noise. Actually, this might be a good uh, for Mr. Wong So I went to side with it, realized that the freeway is so high, the CMU wall that uh, right there, um, it's really not blocking too much sound. The, the freeway noise is oppressive in that, uh, in that land. So what do you do in the architectural design or anything particular you can 
uh, that you are trying to do for this development so it will not turn into a rental property very soon. That's an example of, of the home we're putting in. Every one of these homes comes with garage, a two-car garage that's in the back of the project. And this two-car garage creates flex space for the homeowner as well as a private deck. This wall of two-car garages next to the freeway is going to block the sound better than it is being blocked now for the neighborhood and for this project. So it, us putting these two-car garages up is in a very effective sound barrier. But two-car garage, I imagine the height is uh, 12 feet, no more than 12 feet, right? So the freeway is much more higher. So for the, uh, do, you, do you have a double-painted window for the bedroom upstairs? There is no windows on, on the side of the freeway side. There's no window? No windows on any project on the, on the freeway side. I see. My general counsel is just informing me that, that, to make sure you understand that the flex space is on top of the garage. So our, our mass next to the freeway is about 28 feet tall. Right. So it's on top of the garage where the flex space is. So that's going to create the sound wall, the sound wall that, that is going to affect the neighborhood. But regardless, do you object to use the double-painted window or whatever that can make sure that because it's really hard to imagine that just a, a, a garage can block the sound, the travel uh, through uh, to the windows and go to the bedroom or living room. So is there any uh, architectural design feature for the main house that uh... That's kind of the view you get from the freeway. So the houses are three feet apart from each other. So it creates a very effective sound barrier. Okay, so you um... and and there are no there's no usable windows. These windows that are up there, they're flex space. They're going to be dual dual pane. If if you want to condition triple pane windows, I'm okay with that also. Okay, um, thank you. And then um, I have a question for the. I guess those are the question for the staff. Thank you. And for the uh, drip line for the tree at. Uh, So I'm looking at the, um, this is uh, the tentative subdivision map for the tree uh, 852. That's a 45 diameter valley oak. It looked like uh, um, almost half of the drip line is covered by the pavement. So um, would that uh, be okay with the, um, the city? Good evening, Commissioners. I'm uh, Kevin Hawker. I'm the City Urban Forester. Yes, we've evaluated that. It's approximately 25% of the drip line, and it can be uh, acceptable with proper engineering and, and proper care uh, to, to make sure that it's not going to hurt the, the roots of the tree. So that can be done with proper uh, care and engineering. 
Um, can you look at the, the tentative map? Uh, I don't know if we're talking about the same tree. It doesn't look like it's only 25 percent. Uh, yes, thank you. So that is the tree I'm talking about. It, it looked definitely more than 25 percent. Am I uh, looking at it wrong? Uh, okay. This one, yes. It's this tree right, right here? Yeah. Okay. So right across here, everything down here would be 50 percent. Right here and here, this is about 25 percent of this whole circle. That is uh, just a little bit shy of 50 percent. Right here, if we if we cut a line across here, that would be 50 percent of the area. We're, I'm I'm talking about the total drip line area. Oh, the, it's calculated by the. Okay, sorry. Hold on. Could you repeat your question again? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Uh, I guess the drip line you are calculating is is not the perimeter. You are calculating as the area. Yes, ma'am. I got it. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. And also, as I read the advisory note number six, you mentioned that, that there were um, um, quite a few inconsistency or inaccuracy of the uh, operist reports and the site uh, the site site uh, site maps. But does that change any of your conclusion that any of the conditions you placed for this project? No, it doesn't. All those inconsistencies were uh, reconciled. Okay. All right. Thank you. And last question for the staff. Um, the neighbors mentioned that uh, there's a deviation for the setback at uh, lot one and two, and it seemed awfully close to the existing home to the east. And was that homeowner notified about the, uh, the, the deviation of the setback? Or maybe you can first tell me that what is the required and what is the uh, presented, proposed setback for the lot one and two that are close to the east, the home at the east. So the question is in regards to setbacks for lot one and two? Right. Okay. So this lot one right here, the front yard setback is measured off of Swanston Drive because it's the public right of way. And they are right here at about 20 feet, and it's consistent with what um, the neighbor has over here on this side. For lot two, the front yard setback was measured from this property line to here, which is 20 feet. And then these are the sides and the sides. And then the rear was measured off the alley here. So there's no um, front yard setback deviation for lot two, um, nor is there one for lot one. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Commissioner Coville. Yeah, I just was curious about the, uh, the letter that one of the neighbors brought up about, and you addressed it a little bit, about the seepage. Can you go into how you, how does that, how do you take care of something like seepage? That's... Uh, I mean, it's, it's in discussing that with our Department of Utilities, that, that seepage uh, that they've been uh, monitoring occurs farther south on, on San Buena, almost at Sump 2, which, which is, I think, at 10th Avenue. Uh, this is at, at 4th Avenue. Um, and they monitor that when there's uh, both high water and high uh, 
uh, or high river water and high ground water uh, situations. Um, they looked to see if that would impact uh, this development with their uh, geotech team, um, and they, they felt that because this is in the flood zone X with no requirements to elevate or, or flood proof, and that they will be required to submit a drainage study um, that they believe they could address any seepage issues, even though they don't believe that it would affect this particular site. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Coville. Commissioner Rogers. Thank you, Chair. Yeah, I wanted to ask the applicant about their plans for mitigating um, flood water. I saw a condition in there for providing storage, but I didn't see anything on any of the site plans or anything that indicated how that was going to be fulfilled. Um, we'll do it with a vault. We haven't done our improvement plans. We'll start them after this hearing um, if we're successful. But we'll do it in a vault that's under the private street. I believe they want us to have 7,700 gallons. We'll have a 7,700-gallon 7, vault under the, uh, under the private drive. I think a cubic feet, right? I'm sorry? I think it's 7,700 cubic feet. Whatever that number is, we'll have that vault underneath the, underneath the okay. private road. The reason I ask is it is a pretty, it's going to be a pretty substantial vault, and uh, just want to make sure that was accounted for in your design. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Rogers. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Moser, can you come back? Yes, sir. So w when I looked at the property, I got to confess, uh, given the private drives and stuff, and I'm, I'm, I want to talk a little bit more about lots 9 and 10 and 4th Avenue. Yes, sir. So when I looked at 4th Avenue, um, well, one, when you look at, you know, the satellite maps, you can get, like, you know, Apple Map or Google Map. It's all covered by trees. It's hard to figure out what the lay of the land looks like. Um, so when I go to 4th Avenue, the first house I see is 504th Avenue, which we're really not talking about. The two we've been talking about that are just south of lots 9 and 10, I only know them by their APN numbers, Yes. 023 and 035. Yes. If I understand, 035 is the circa 1850 house that some of the neighbors are talking about? Yes, that's owned by Tony Kale. So when I look at that from 4th Avenue, I see some private drives and I see a whole lot of fencing. I see way in the distance, um, um, I have nothing to point to, I see way in the distance uh, uh, a roof with a whole lot of pine needles on it, which I think is the house on lot 23, and I can't even see the house on lot 35. All I see is lots of fences and private driveways. Um, are, are you going to take all that down? And, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not understanding what the, what the access looks like now as it's going to change. It sounds to me like what I'm looking at from 4th Avenue that I can't kind of see very well because it's lots of fencing is help me understand how, the, how, how it's going to change. Okay. I have a uh, photo of what 4th Avenue looks like right here. I'm sorry. Like that. You have a photo of the fourth Avenue? That's what Fourth Avenue looks like right now. You're right. It's just a bunch of fences. Um, one driveway that goes back to to a mirage of fences. This is what we're gonna put in. So that's what you're gonna look at when you drive up to the end of Fourth Avenue. The garages will be in back of the house. And you'll have one driveway that goes directly to the to the it'd be, it'd be the left side of that home. 
and that's where the driveway would branch off to the first house, branch off to the to the second house, the circa 1850s house, and that other newer home back there, and then go straight back to our lot 10. So the the whole lot nine and ten situation, you alluded to earlier that it was that that the police department didn't want that to be a um, you know a, a, a no man's land space. I forgot the term you used. That's exactly what it was going to turn into. Exactly. There, I, I know you've indicated some conversations with neighbors, and I imagine you've had some conversations with the the lot 23 and lot 35 property owners because of the document that's in the staff report where you all agreed to some amicable resolution. Yes. So there's an allegation in the, and I don't want to get into tone and accusations, Mm -hmm. just just facts, that the lot 23 and lot 35 property owners wouldn't have minded owning that property themselves and extending their lots. And half the reason I ask is because it looks sort of like there's some encroachment on that property now. I'm really actually confused about that. Do, do you, and then I don't know if the lot 23 and lot 35 property owners are in the audience. Maybe we'll find that out in public comment. Without calling on them, I'm asking what you know. Yes. Um, I'm not calling on them when it's appropriate. Yes. Do you know if, did, did, they, did you ever have any discussions with them about potentially acquiring the, the, the unused, undeveloped, Fourth Avenue land. I, I did not directly have a conversation with them regarding that. Okay. Okay. Am I understanding correctly that with all the fencing I see that um, that today you go through that previously foundation-owned, undeveloped Fourth Avenue territory that you've acquired to get to their driveways? Is, that's, is, not, that's not correct. Okay. How do how do how do they get to their how do they get to their? Uh, am I am I misunderstanding that the that the little paths through those fences are just south of the property line of the lot nine and lot ten territory that you acquired? I, I don't have a, la- a map. You can show with this, right? Yeah. If you look at right here. Mr. Chairman's going to ask you to go to the microphone again. Microphone. On this area right here, uh-huh. it branches off to a, to a parking area driveway for the first home, and then it branches off to this area back here yeah. where the second, where Mr. Kale parks his vehicles. So this current two-gate driveway looking thing is, is not used regularly as, as entrance or egress or egress for that property. I'm, I'm sorry, the, 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 the long rectangle outlined in the red dotted lines that you pointed to, which, if I understand correctly, is part of Lot 10 in a yet-to-be-developed subdivision map, but notwithstanding its subdivision map parcel, the, the, the long rectangle outlined by the red dotted line is property that you currently own. That is correct. And do they or do they not now use that to access their properties? They do not use it to access their property. Their, their, their access is, is south of, of, of the property line along the axis of this red dotted line rectangle, correct? No, I'm sorry. The, the, the red dotted line is part of their access, but the fences are about right back here that you see. Yeah, and that's what I so, thought I saw when I... Yeah, so the red dotted line, they pull up here to park, and they pull here to park. 
So they don't use that as an, as an access, and this red dotted line is part of the property that I now own, and it would landlock them if we didn't condition that I give them access. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think I'll wait till after public comment we hear from some of the other property owners before I ask about this police department issue. But just for clarification, when you said the police department, did you mean Sergeant Juan who's sitting in the back over there? Sergeant Juan, yes. Okay. I'll ask him. He's over there. Well, maybe, oh, where is he? No, he, I believe he left. Oh. I, I think he left after the last hearing. Because he, he, I looked around for him, too. That's, yeah, okay. It is what it is. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. We have no additional questions uh, from commissioners at this point. So now would be the opportunity for public comment. I have a number of comment slips. I will apologize ahead of time if I call your name out incorrectly. And again, if you could adhere to the three-minute time limit, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, our first speaker is Joe Levage, followed by Harry Oaks. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Chair, Vice Chair, members of the Planning and Design Commission. My name is Joe Levayich. I live at 561 Robertson Way, uh, near the corners of Robertson and Santa Buena, just south of the proposed development. I'm not here to speak in favor or uh, in opposition to the project. I want to paint a picture of a, of a growing public safety issue that I see uh, on Santa Buena. So right now, uh, Santa Buena is used as a, a cut-through street for Riverside Boulevard during evening and morning commutes. Um, my street on Robertson is unabated, no stop signs. Uh, it's about probably half a mile, three-quarters of a mile long. Commuters using Robertson or other streets as a cut-through travel in excess of 45 miles an hour daily. And I'm not saying that Mr. Moser's project is creating that problem. I, I don't think it's doing anything to mitigate the problem. Also in Santa Buena, we have now an issue of people using it to shoot drugs, pass out for a couple hours, um, people not cleaning up after their pets, as well as just general seclusion. So it's a, it's a design flaw of Santa Buena. Uh, I measured it today, and it's 75 feet long from the retaining wall to the east side sidewalk uh, on Santa Buena. So my ask tonight is that we could think of creative ways to potentially condition the project to use any Quimby fees resulting from the project to do improvements to Santa Buena. Um, Upper Land Park Neighbors is a group that I'm associated with, and we did meet with the developer last year, and we appreciate that. Uh, we have to do something about Santa Buena. It's simply unsafe right now. Um, if we can think of ways to turn that uh, landscape area from the sound wall to the sidewalk to maybe a potential pocket park, or something that brings people there as opposed to just seclusion. Because right now, it is not safe. Um, you know, having an 11-month-old son is something that I think about. And so I'm not here to speak in opposition or support of the project, but I do think that there's an opportunity to look at ways that we can improve the streetscape through creative landscaping, uh, walking trails, you know, some sort of park-like setting where we can bring people there as opposed to letting people hide. And right now, you know, the project isn't doing anything to mitigate that. Um, you know, we could say that the off-street parking may do that, but the reality is it's just not a safe street right now. So um, I, I would hope that we can think of ways to improve Santa Buena along with this project. So thank you. Sir, if you could wait for a moment. There is a question from the commissioners. Commissioner Kaufman. 
Thank you, Mr. Chair. So talk about improvements, public park. I, I'll have some questions about some of that later. But is there is there lighting along Santa Buena? Not uh, adequate, but there is lighting. Okay, so lighting improvements might be something that you would be looking for, whether it's through Quimby fees or some other process. Yeah, the, the, the road is 40 feet wide, and it's just not common of a traditional residential thoroughfare. Uh, so looking at potentially narrowing the road so people don't use it as a you know mini expressway in the morning, at night, maybe improve landscaping, something that we can bring neighbors there. Uh, we've actually had discussions with Caltrans. They're supportive and receptive of the idea. So working you know, with the neighbors, with the city and Caltrans, uh, I'm just trying to raise awareness to the issue tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Harry Oaks, followed by Jeremy Herb Herbert, I believe it is. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Harry Oaks. I live at 580 Swanston Drive. And um, here tonight, not necessarily in favor or opposed, but I do have concerns about the density of the lots and also just kind of the going about it. Um, I wanted to state, too, that I sent an email to Mr. Norman this afternoon. You may not have gotten it because I didn't send it until probably about 4 o'clock. But um, there's a detailed list of concerns that I have for the project in that, in that email. Um, so what, what, I'm, what I'm seeing and understanding uh, from the project is it's 1.62 acres, um, which, you know, is a lot of land. But when I look at the layout, and I looked at some of the information on the city's website as far as parcel sizes. The two parcels that are referenced in the notice, and these don't, do not include the new 4th Avenue area, only add up to under an acre. Under an acre. Um, and with the lot size requirements for 52 by 100 feet, 5,200 square feet, um, I'm just not seeing the math work out. So I'm concerned about the density of the lots. When you have the lot sizes, I looked on Google Earth and that's not a perfect surveying tool, but um, just doesn't seem like we can fit that many units on that parcel, especially when you take into account the easement of the Caltrans. Uh, Caltrans easement is a, a sanitary district easement, and if you add in the, the private road, um, I'm just not sure how all that math works out. So I would ask that you look at that in more detail um, for all of, the, all of the lots out there. Um, I heard a comment earlier um, about rental properties. That's another concern, and I know that's not something that can be controlled, but my concern is with that density, people are just going to buy the homes and, and turn them into rentals, which lead into, you know, kind of a follow-up to what the last gentleman mentioned. Um, and... Uh, There was also a comment, somebody mentioned uh, the units being three feet apart, our house is three feet apart. Um, I'm not sure if that was an accurate statement or maybe I misheard it, but it just sounds like they're really kind of crammed onto that lot. So again, my, my primary concern on this project is density and, and trying to squeeze in too many homes in a, an area. It doesn't really fit the neighborhood. Um, so that's all I have as far as the project. Um, again, I, I sent you that email this evening, so I'd like to have that included as part of the record. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeremy Herbert, followed by Karen Nikos Rose. Good evening. 
Good evening. Um, my name is Jeremy Herbert. I recently purchased a property at 581 Swanson. I'd like to appreciate um, the venue to be able to come and express my comments to the chair and the commissioners. Um, one of my deepest concerns is how the more I researched this project and getting notice about this just about a month ago, this is the first time I had ever heard this, is that I started researching everything about the project. And in doing my research, I discovered that most of the progressive policies, both local, regional, and state, are either ignored or not addressed by this project. So I'm going to go through some of those really quickly. Um, first, the most concerning is the CEQA exemption of 15332. Um, that exception requires that the proposed development does not result in any traffic noise, air quality, or water quality impacts. We've heard some concern already about the noise impacts of this. So I, I it should be clear that there is impact, so there should not be an exemption through CEQA. The, uh, the rest points uh, underscore all this. For traffic, SACOG adopted the MDP SCS in 2016. Within that, it directs regions to develop sustainable communities. The distance of this project from adequate transit means that it does not conform with the transit-oriented development, which means most of the trips generated from this project will be single occupancy vehicles. It will impact traffic. Noise. The cutting out of the seven trees will adversely affect noise. In a 2017 study by Al and others, traffic noise was reduced by 50% when vegetation enhanced from minimal to moderate. By cutting down all these trees, you are adversely impacting the noise coming from the freeway. Um, in Additionally, in 2017, a study by McClure said noise pollution adversely affected wildlife health, distribution, and abundance. To humans, James had two studies in 2015 and 2016 saying vegetation and green infrastructure is shown to have overall health benefits, including increased physical activity, lower obesity, improved mental health, overall improved birth outcomes, lower adverse cardiovascular illness, and decreased mortality. 2015, a study by Devand, an improvement in school children's cognitive development is associated with an increase in surrounding greenness. The authors partly attributed this association to reductions in nearby air pollution, which gets segues into the air portion. 2016 study by Selmy, trees remove carbon monoxide, nitrous, nitrogen dioxide, ozone, PM10, PM2.5, and sulfur dioxide. The demographics of residents along Swanson overly represent sensitive, sensitive populations, elderly, young, and those uh, a part of asthmatics. Um, the acute exposure to PM10 and 2.5s increase the rate of cardiovascular Herbert, deaths, and each tree sequesters a million metric ton of CO2, which runs against Sacramento City's uh, climate action plan. Um, at that point, I will finish and answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Herbert. Karen Nilos Rose, followed by uh, Jay Trinka. Good evening. Good evening, Chairman, members of the Commission. Um, I'm Karen Nickus Rose. I live at 585 Fourth Avenue. You're noticing an address pattern of many of the people here. I live less than 500 feet from the project. My property abuts Mercy Housing. Um, if you want to know about noise, you can come to my backyard anytime you want. And it's getting worse and worse. Uh, I will say people move to that neighborhood for the trees. I moved there for the trees. It's amazing. I have two huge camphor trees in my backyard. Uh, noise, water. They absorb the water, okay? 
you remove all these trees, you're going to have flooding. Everybody's backyards flooded this year. They flood pretty much every year. Mine doesn't. My trees pretty much drink up that water within a day, even on some of those seven and eight inch days we had this winter. These people are going to be walking around in water. I'm sorry. That's not true. I'm just going to second the man in the green shirt. I'm sorry, I forget your name. I also read the CEQA exemption. The idea that this is exempt from CEQA is ridiculous. I enumerated that in my letter. I hope you read it. I highlighted, if you didn't get a color printout, I highlighted in my email letter what parts don't apply. And this CEQA law was not written for this property. This is not what this is for. This is not an urbanized area. There's, there is impact on the environment. And finally, I'd just like to say, uh, I'm not an uh, opponent of building. But this is super dense. Um, I'm lucky to have one of the largest lots in the neighborhood. And, but no lot, I don't believe any lot, I'd have to look at, I do have a map of the neighborhood at home, I believe there's no lot less than 4,200 square foot in that neighborhood. I'd be very surprised if there was. And there's a couple, I want to speak for my neighbors, there's a couple people who could make it tonight um, who agree with us. Craig Chaffee, common commenter, he's having his twin grandchildren this evening. And Virginia Kessler, historic, a historic resident of this neighborhood and whose parents owned the dairy that was once there. Uh, she's ill tonight. The heat was a bit much for her. She's elderly, but she wanted to be here tonight. And I just am very upset that the city of Sacramento would allow this development to happen in the beautiful area of Land Park, and it's just a disgrace. And I can't believe the staff recommendation. I really can't. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jay Trinka, followed by Jeffrey Frost. Good evening. Good evening. I apologize. I, I don't see very well with or without my glasses. And I apologize if my letter may have brought offense. I certainly wasn't bringing, uh, intending that anyone infer offense from my letter. But to supplement, I've lived in my home since 1971. And the treed area, I used to work uh, for Nonian Tink Palmer. The historic house and its trees are should be considered as an entirety, as a heritage place. Unfortunately, I was not old enough to speak against I-5 and the destruction of the river waterfront that happened. But this area, people come to because it's beautiful, because it feeds the soul as well as providing buffer from the noise of the freeway. Um, we have wildlife that's very unique, in my opinion, worthy of preserving in the same way as the American River Parkway. Um, having lived here for so long, removing those trees and looking at the potential blight of housing instead of my beautiful neighborhood anymore of nearly 50 years is appalling. 
For the, as for the homes themselves in the part that has no trees, I can't imagine anyone wanting to live that close to a freeway or that packed together at all. This is a very noisy area that it would be better turning the whole place into a heritage park worthy just like Effie where we plant more trees and we restore it to its indigenous habitat, which might help with the whole Santa Buena area concerns, help with the traffic concerns that are not being addressed. There are emergency vehicle access issues, other vehicular issues that need to be concerned. If anyone has questions of me, I'll do my best to answer Thank you very much for considering, and please consider removing this project completely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeffrey Frost, followed by Robert Barnard. Hi, good evening. evening, and thank you for actually hosting this uh, on a hot day. Um, Actually, it's really nice in here, so I'm going to enjoy the time. Um, I'd like to second uh, what my neighbors are saying. My name is Jeff Frost. I'm at 614 4th Avenue, and uh, we moved into the neighborhood in 2009, moved into this particular house in 2013. Um, we absolutely love our neighbors. We have neighborhood block parties and do those kind of fun things that you would imagine from the 50s. Um, one big concern regarding trees that has maybe another effect that we got to look at is the uh, heat island effect. When you remove a tree, you now expose the ground to heating, which then the reason why Lamb Park is so nice and about two to three degrees cooler than anywhere else in Sacramento is because of our trees. So removing those trees is going to create a heat island effect. Uh, the other concern I have is regarding um, we've, we've had a high-speed drive-by shooting in the neighborhood down at the end of 4th and coming back around. And if we are looking at possible owners that sublease to now tenants, and then we invite that element in further into a higher density area, uh, I have my, ha my house and also my neighbors, we have video cameras set up, not because we like to look at the pretty trees, but because we're trying to protect our homes. Uh, we've offered all this evidence to the SAC PD, and if they've come by and taken a look at it, um, but I just don't want to add to the element of high density and causing more issues within our neighborhood that SACPD will be unable to respond to, uh, including theft of property that I've had from our porch that we filed reports but have gotten no response back from SACPD. So it makes me concerned that perhaps they're over, uh, overtaxed as well. So, um, other than that, my neighbors have pretty much said it all. and. Uh, you know, we're not opposed to developing the area, and we're not opposed to even developing homes for the area. What we want to see is something a little less dense. I'm sure that's another concern that we all have. And and Fourth Avenue is being used right now as one of the thoroughfare, a high-speed bypass from Vallejo now because Vallejo has the speed bumps. So now they're coming down Fourth Avenue at a pretty fast clip. I'd like to possibly look into with my neighbors adding speed bumps to that section of 4th and San Luis Court 
be and try to slow the people down coming down through there. So, thank you again for your time. Appreciate it, Mr. Frost. Uh, thank you. We do have a question, Commissioner Lafasso. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Frost. One quick question: You mentioned concern about theft and cameras. Are those cameras pointed to the street, or are those? Yes, I have. Uh, they're not. They're not appointed. They're not directed to any of the vacant parcels in the vicinity. No, they're they're pointed in my property, across my lawn, and looking up San Luis Court and down Fourth. And from the corner camera, I can look almost all the way down and see the end of Fourth Avenue. Meaning, you can see the vacant property we're talking about. I can I can vaguely make out where that. It's just a dark spot way down there. I hope you appreciate the thrust of my question is the yes. vacant property. Yes. Thank you very much, sir. Very welcome, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Mr. Frost. Robert Varner, followed by Tony Kale. Good evening. Good evening. Um, my name is Robert Barnard. I live at 604 4th Avenue. And um, first of all, I want to say that I, my personal opinion is that this uh, proposed uh, development is completely incongruent with the existing land park neighborhood. Um, second of all, um, concerning the trees and uh, the existing uh, uh, landscaping, natural vegetation that's there, um, I'm a botanist and a professional. I've been a professional uh, horticulturist for my whole adult life. I'm 62 now, and. Um, yeah, you can get different opinions on the impact of a housing development on oak trees or California black oak or whatever, uh, or, uh, black walnut, uh, whatever existing uh, plants, trees are there right now. Uh, my professional opinion would be that uh, d developing uh, and paving, uh, putting solid uh, uh, surfaces over the uh, uh, root structure of these trees would be compromise their ability to survive. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean they would die, but it certainly compromises their ability. Um, I have considerable, we have a farm in El Dorado County. I've observed uh, the impacts of these things on the native oak trees in El Dorado County, and it's generally not good, especially when you are digging trenches and disturbing the root system of these trees and a point of entry for wounds like armillaria, oak root fungus, things like that. Uh, you're just asking for these trees to die. These trees absolutely provide a sound barrier for this neighborhood, much more than any uh, man-made wall possibly ever could. So anything that compromises the health of these trees really isn't a good idea. That's about all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you very much. Final speaker, Tony Kale. Hi, uh, my name is Tony Kale. I actually wasn't going to say anything tonight, but uh, my name got brought up, so here I am. Um, I live on the adjacent properties, lots 8 and, or 9 and 10, I guess, on Michael and Marty's um, drawings. Um, so the 1856 house and all that. Um, I'm actually up here to see if you guys have any questions, because I honestly was just coming to take the temperature. 
Right. Thank you. Commissioner LaFaso? Yeah. Thank you for coming up, sir. So, same question I posed to Mr. Moser. Um, do you use that property, which evidently used to be owned by the foundation, and now it's owned by Mr. Moser to access your your home on lot 35, which is what we're calling it. Yeah. So if we want to bring in um, my vans for loading equipment, stuff like that, we use it all the time. We actually put that in. That fence line as it stands now was uh, put on by the previous owners, and it, they just had like a chain link fence, and it started getting falling down. So we just put in a gate so we could access the property because 500 got built after we built or after I moved in, and it sort of bottlenecked our options for going another direction, so we just put a gate in. Did you have just an informal relationship with the prior property owner? Yeah. It was, I just replicated what Tink and Oni Palmer did. I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. They were the previous owners. Got it. So, okay, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, just so I can square off on this allegation somewhere, did you all, did you ever have any interest in acquiring the? Not buying it. Um, okay. Yeah, That's so a perfectly reasonable answer. Yeah, no, we can afford it. Um, we have been stewards of that lot for 13 years now. Um, we've used it. We've taken care of it. I've sunk tens of thousands of dollars into that lot doing tree maintenance. Um, when trees fall on Mercedes apartments, we take care of it. Um, we've been kind of using it for composting. We can't build on it, so uh, we just sort of took advantage of the open lot. Um, it, it's honestly, it's been really, really an awesome piece to have adjacent to our property. Um, until recently, until recently, I had no idea that there was a cop talking about crime in there because no one ever talked to us about it. But um, we, I'm going to say this out loud, we didn't lock our house for 11 years, not one single day living next to the projects until the gentrification started and all hell started breaking loose with crime. So I'm not, I'm not clear on how the crime thing works out there. Um, I know that since the lot behind us where the big build-out's going to go, when, since all that greenbelt got obliterated and that wildlife habitat gone, um, tons of people back there now. Like, it's a mess. Um, whereas Tons of people like? Just people crossing through because there's a breach in the wall back there, so there's people going by all the time. Like neighbors just walking through or like, like? I don't know who they are. But it's like, become a traffic way, a three-way. But, but pedestrians. But, but I'm not trying to cast aspersions in particular types of people, but do yeah. you mean types of people who might raise a concern in terms of loitering or other some yeah. questionable activity? Yeah, like, for example, before the green belt got blown out, um, the worst problem we had there was kids smoking dope by the big tree. Okay. That was the biggest that's deal. Uh, right. And now it's just like this constant three-way. But it's, that's a done deal because it's been obliterated. There's no real barrier when you get back to that big oak tree and that back lot, especially with the remodeling of the Mercy Apartments. It's just kind of kicked open. Again, sir, I really appreciate your comments. I just want you to know you have more than answered my questions, and I really appreciate your yeah, coming. No so unless there's anything that you yourself want to say under your two minutes, 29 seconds, um, um, I really appreciate your responses. Yeah. Uh, no, I will say that the place gets muddy. That lot does get muddy. Um, as trees have dropped over the years, and we've had to pull them off the walls and stuff like that, the lot does get softer and softer. We have noticed that. Um, what else? I'd hate to see any of those trees go, but I don't own the land anymore. And if it's going to get developed, that's the way it goes. Um, I do have concern. And I talked to Michael and Marty. I have like a straight line to them and, and um, 
Uh, I think we're all on the same page about trees. We definitely don't want to see go if development were to happen. Um, there are some 300-year-old walnuts and stuff that I just can't see how they could go. Um, but they don't seem to be on the drawings, like marked on the drawings. Although trees that are marked on the drawings are larger, um, but they're not. The, the, it would be a shame to see them go, but if it's getting developed, there are some trees that aren't that bad. There's like one of them's going to fall sooner than later, probably. But I got. Yeah. I do appreciate you. I, I do urge you to, Mr. Hockery from Urban Forestry is in the audience, and he's very good at this kind of stuff. And if you have insights to share with him on some of the trees, I know I that piece you. of land inside and out, man. But like, I'm trying to suggest no, do it here, do it with Mr. Hockery. Okay. Yeah. We, we, this is this is too much detail. We can't take it in. Okay. Um, Mr. Kale, I, I, we have an additional question from Commissioner Yee. Yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> the access lane that is being identified that goes that occupies a southern portion of lot 10 that's the newer one uh you would access your parcel by using that lane that access. i have no idea um i well, we I don't think that's the point yeah so does it concern you that there is no specificity as to what that access lane looks like nor the impact of it on your parcel does no, the, I'm, con I'm concerned. Yeah, okay. I'm concerned. And we've I've brought up with Michael and Marty uh, my concerns, and we've been in a dialogue with it. Um, there's a structure that I'm not clear on the easement well, of it. I, I do have a follow-up question. Maybe yeah. that's what you're, you're going to speak to. There's identified on the plans a gazebo. And I believe that that gazebo is yours? Yeah. Okay, it straddles your property and, and, and parcel 10. Yeah. Yes, and so you do realize that that with this development, that gazebo will be removed, have to be removed at some point. Well, yeah, or I, I have a drawing. That was built with permits by the previous owners. And, yeah, we have talked about that. In all honesty, I don't want to move. Okay, so, I, you know, I, I don't want to get beyond what we're here to hear. Uh, but you are aware that it's Stratus line. It could be. Yeah, oh, I'm acutely aware of it. Okay. Yeah. Does it also cause you some concern that with this application and with the uh, subdivision of parcels 9 and 10, that at this point, for reasons that the city permits, that there are no plans for those parcels? And I will make a, a guess. If those are two-story structures, homes, um, especially 9 will tend to look into your yard. Do you have any concern about the impact of development on 9 and 10 relative to your privacy. Yeah, of course I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's going to change the entire feel of that, of my lot. The whole development's going to, it's going to change everything about my property, like, and, directly. And because you've been there so long, the, the project immediately to the north, um, I couldn't tell, but I think those are apartments that abut that property line. Is that correct? Yeah. And it looks like they're pretty darn close. And the reason I can't quite tell is all the trees there, which is good, but you can't they're, see where the structures are. Yeah, are they you mean clo close to that, that, that uh, fence line? The apartment's close to the wall that divides. Oh. Uh, they've got to be offset eight feet, probably. Eight feet? Okay, I would think. So it's, not, it's an eight foot wall. It's hard to see over. But yeah. It's got to be eight or ten feet offset. Okay, but yeah. they're single story. I think. Yeah, they're single story. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for being here. Cheers.
Thank you, Mr. Kale. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. I have no other speaker slips. We'll move forward to Commissioner comments and motions. Commissioner Kaufman, followed by Vice Chair Burke. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I have a number of questions. Um, Mr. Buford, could you talk just briefly about the CEQA exemption? Uh, good evening. Tom Buford, Senior Planner with Environmental. What the question? Question is: There's been called into in, in concerns raised about the applicability of a CEQA exemption for this infill project. If you could just address that and explain the reason for it. The 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 exemption that was identified is the infill exemption, and, and it is discussed in the in the um, uh, staff report. Uh, and I your comments, and and I, I understand that. Um, the nature of the comments that when I look through um, the the components however a couple of comments um, the, uh, uh, the the site is within the city limits uh, clearly within or, or less than five acres uh, it's it is served by uh, police fire water sewer uh, stormwater services of the city uh, clearly qualifies it has um, uh, it's 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 in an urban area uh, surrounded by a freeway uh, residences and um, I'm not uh, I did, didn't have not seen evidence in, in the records any substantial evidence in the record that would raise serious questions to me about the applicability of the exemption um, I think the comments that were made and I, I would say from a staff standpoint when we look at a project like this um, if we see the potential for a significant effect on the environment, uh, we don't use the exemption. Uh, it does, um, some of the exemptions have specific references to specific topics. Uh, there is an um, exception, for example, in addition for um, any substantial adverse effect on a historic resource. We've taken a look at that. I think the one uh, issue that has come up um, with a fair amount of discussion is noise. And, and um, one of the recent Supreme Court decisions that we follow, obviously, said that the uh, process of the CEQA review reviews the effect of the project on the environment, not the effect of the environment on the project. Uh, you all remember McKinley Village, I'm sure. And um, even though that might be the rule, and we talked about the rule in that case, you can get to a point where you, you say um, it, it can become a public safety uh, issue, but that's not really not a CEQA issue. That's more of a general plan issue and a planning issue that the, the commission would, like you, would look at and, and ask whether this is consistent with our infill policies and the like. Um, there are ways to attenuate sound. Um, the, the best way uh, to reflect sound and attenuate sound is through a solid structure. Uh, trees can be used, uh, but the information I've seen uh, ha indicates that we're usually talking about dense trees, we're talking about uh, uh, widths of trees, and uh, we're talking about nice soft ground. They're usually manufactured um, uh, environments that, that create that. Um, in this case, uh, we've taken a look at this. I, I think there is 
We felt that the general plan was satisfied. Uh, the um, uh, comments by the applicant regarding the uh, uh, design uh, shielding of uh, public spaces in the back or the private spaces in the back uh, would be uh, effective. And the uh, standards for internal um, uh, noise uh, are addressed specifically in the building code, any builder coming in has to demonstrate that they meet those standards or they, they don't get to build those homes. So we're satisfied and we, it, it's infill development that's always uncomfortable. Uh, I, this, um, I, I think the, the exemption was well identified and well supported in the record. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, could I ask the urban forester to come? I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. <laughs> Good evening, I'm Kevin Hawker. Hi, Kevin. You've heard testimony tonight talking about a lot of the trees, the sustainability of the trees that are going to be left here. Um, if you could sort of just give us the, you know, the ABCs of this, how many trees there are now, how many trees are going to go away, how many trees are going to be replanted, what you assess is the sustainability of the the plan that the applicant has made. Somebody have a, a map of the site that has the trees that would, uh, I think mine might be an old one. So I'm, I'm gonna walk you through this real, um, like you said, the ABCs of it. We've got um, four large trees on this, on this site that are all being preserved. This one right here on, on this part of the project. Okay, and then we have three right here. These are all large oak trees that are, uh, have trunks about 50 inches in diameter, uh, large spreads on them about you know, 60 foot wide. The, these trees are all being preserved. So we'll have engineering um, uh, controls on them to make sure that they, they are being preserved. The, the trees that are being removed, um, there are seven trees I believe four of them are walnut trees, and uh, and all of those walnut trees have um, substantial structural defects uh, that would, uh, you know, substantially shorten their lives. These trees are pretty much on their way out as it is. Those trees, I believe, I might be pointing to the wrong ones, but there's one here and, and a couple right in here. There are also, of those seven that are being removed, there are going to be... Um, three smaller oak trees, okay? And, and we talked earlier about errors in the map. One of them is right here at the corner. It's not shown on the map, but it is accounted for in, in the conditions. And then there's another two over here, okay? Those trees, um, I believe one of them has a diameter of 23 inches, another has a diameter of 13, 16 inches, another has a diameter of 18 inches. So we're talking about some trees that are about this big in diameter. Um, with a total of 57 uh, diameter inches. The conditions of, of the project, uh, while we don't have an actual landscape plan here, the conditions of the, uh, of the project uh, that you're going to be, uh, you have the opportunity to approve right today, are to plant one 24-inch box tree on each of the 10 lots, and then in addition to that, plant 15 uh, uh, 24-inch box trees distributed throughout the entirety of the project. That accounts for 50 inches of, um, of uh, diameter inches. 
The remaining seven, there isn't, um, you know, a good indication that we actually have enough room to put put anything else on the site. So that's going to be uh, covered by in lieu fees, uh, totaling a, roughly about uh, two thousand something dollars. I don't have it in front of me. Thank you. But does that does that that is the question that I have? Thank you very much. A couple questions for city attorney. Uh, one of the people providing public testimony had some comments about um, the possibility of an assessment district or uh, uh, specifying particular uses of a portion of the Quimby fees. So my first question is, is any of that in our jurisdiction as the Planning Commission? Uh, well, my first thought would be, obviously, when you're looking at impacts, it's the, is the project creating the problem? And then, if so, the city might be able to impose some conditions. It sounded from like that, what the gentleman said was the project is, the, the problem is already existing, so uh, I'd have questions about the nexus there. As far as the Quimby fees, perhaps Antonio could speak to that. I'm not sure what's been assessed there. Uh, the project will have to annex into uh, a landscaping maintenance district um, as part of the, the project. I believe uh, one of the conditions identifies the actual district that it, it would go to, but the fees collected uh, for Quimby would go to that specific district. But within that, I don't know if there's a way to specify that it could go to improvements along that, that park strip or, or not. Um, but those fees would be... Um, going to the, the maintenance district for that particular neighborhood. Okay, landscaping maintenance, that, would that include lighting as well? I, be, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, um, and, and just remind me, because there's a tentative map in here, this will be going to city council? This, the, this is not required to go to city council. The, the final map has to go to council, but that generally doesn't happen under a public hearing. So we're going to be the last people to act on this? Um, from a code standpoint, yes. Yes? Yeah. My point, okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Uh, again, I want to remind commissioners this opportunity to provide uh, comments as well as potential motions. Commissioner LaFossa. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'll be briefer because... A lot of my questions were the ones that Commissioner Kaufman asked, but a couple quick follow-ups, one each for Mr. Hawker and Mr. Buford. Uh, then, uh, anyway, Mr. Hawker, quick question. So just, uh, just to lock down what you said, some black, some walnuts were, were in problematic shape. Are those the ones of the staff report that they're not mitigating because they were problem trees and they're on their own? Is that correct? The code allows um, the replacement requirement to be waived in instances where there's a problem with um, the safety of a tree, uh, if, it, if it had substantial structural defects, if it was uh, diseased or something like that, then we wouldn't uh, necessarily require somebody to replace that as if it were a healthy tree. So that is, is what's being requested for the, the walnut trees. But basically the idea is that the tree's demise was a fact of nature, not caused by the applicant. Essentially, yes. The, these trees would need to be removed out of necessity and not electively, yes. The, the oak trees with the mitigation, you said 50-some-odd width, and you said, I think, 15 box trees. 
is, is, the, is the mitigation something like one box tree for a particular number of inches of width? How, how does that work? Yes, I can explain that. That uh, the standard replacement requirement uh, with the new code is um, one inch in diameter for every inch of diameter of tree that's being removed. Now, one 15-gallon tree counts as one inch. Uh, a 24-inch box tree counts as two inches. Much less common and harder to come by are 36-inch box trees, which count for three inches. If the trees can't be accommodated on site or make some arrangements to actually plant trees, then there's an in lieu fee of $325 per diameter inch uh, that can be paid in, instead of actually planting trees. Okay. So if, for for what we're for the three trees that actually have a replacement that that it would not be appropriate to waive the replacement requirement. That replacement requirement in in lieu fees comes out to $18,525. The applicant is proposing to meet that primarily through planting on site. And the last little bit of it that we're not uh, sure that can actually be done is going to be done through an in lieu fee. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you for your quickness, Mr. Buford. So I, I got the whole, I mean, I got the whole thing about the environment's impact of the project versus projects impacting the environment. And, and you address some issues on noise, and just one little bit more drill down. So, the 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 issue that that the neighbors most referenced was the trees being a sound buffer. And as Mr. Hawker's you know well explained, there are some you know natural turnover of trees. You know, there's a cycle of nature that applies, which we all don't want to be too cavalier about. How does Sequa? guide us in terms of the project's impact on a natural sound barrier? I, I, I start from the, the point of, uh, I guess, the perspective that um, the nothing about the project um, would produce substantial noise. Uh, there's be some car trips. There are, there are people. There are children. Um, once in a while, there's a party, uh, but uh, nothing about the project would indicate uh, to us that, that there was anything uh, abnormal about the activities that are presented. Uh, so, and, and there's an existing noise source. So the proposal, I suppose, would be that by removing trees, uh, somehow there was noise uh, attenuation that had been removed. Uh, I, my response would be, first of all, uh, if we're concerned about noise attenuation and blocking noise, uh, building homes of this size uh, in the path of noise is very effective attenuation. There might be some people that might uh, somehow be affected by the loss of a tree. I would imagine there's going to be uh, a number of residences and, uh, that uh, are near the site that would enjoy uh, substantial noise diminution because they're located over here and the houses fall between them and the freeway. So that would be, to me, uh, a, a give and take or maybe, I don't know if that's what benefit there is for that. Uh, I'm not convinced that the, the trees that are being removed are of the type that truly provide effective noise mitigation if we were to measure that, though I wouldn't deny that um, noise can be a, a subjective 
me uh, measure, uh, a subjective item. Uh, you can um, be exposed to noise. Different people have different responses. So it's not to, uh, you know, uh, naysay to, to concerns that people have, especially when they're living near freeways. And, and I appreciate that. It's just that I don't believe that there's substantial evidence there, that there's a significant effect with regard to noise through the removal of trees. And I don't see any other uh, operation in this project that would produce the kind of noise that we would we would look at as significant. Thank you very much for that Thank very you. thorough answer, Mr. Buford. One question for staff and two questions for the applicant. Uh, Mr. Ablog, apropos to the, the uh, landscape maintenance district, yes. is that one of those mellow roost things? Um, I don't know if it's a mellow roost district, but it's an existing district. Um, that they have that um, the tax assessment uh, assists in funding. When they annex it into, there's some there's some tax or fee implication that that arises from yes, that. Yes. Yes. Who controls the disposition of funds for the landscape maintenance district? Um, it depends what district it is. It would it would either be um, parks or special districts. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Moser. I'm Marty Carr. I'm counsel for the applicant. That's okay. Thank you, Mr. Carr. Um, these are really non-legalistic questions, but I'll just go forward. Sure. I forgot to ask Mr. Moser what's on the western property line of the parcel. So the lots one through eight face to the east. That's, quote, the front yard. Mm -hmm. There's a little walkway. On our maps, there's a there's a big property line. If I'm, assume this gets built as the map says, I'm walking down that little walkway and I'm walking north. No, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. No, 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 that one, the walkway. On the walkway, okay. I'm walking north on the walkway and I look to my right to the east. What do I see? You're seeing a fence. On the other side of that fence, you're going to see the house that fronts on Swanston, right in there. Uh -huh. We've met with that neighbor, talked to him several times. He talked to us about noise. Um, I didn't ask that. Sure enough. I'm going to see like a regular six-foot uh, regular six-foot wood fence. I think it might be eight feet, but you're going to see a regular residential wood fence. A bunch of ivy growing over it, some trees, and you might see a house behind it. Okay. Okay. Um, I've forgotten my second question for the applicant, so thank you, sir. Certainly. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Um, maybe it's too hot and too late to do math, but uh, with regards to parcels one through eight, maybe this is a staff question, how does that translate to units per acre? I know that or, the total is 1.6 something for 10 parcels, but one through eight. I, I don't recall one through eight. I know um, the math is, is kind of odd because the, the parcel size does not include the, the right-of-way that's to be abandoned because it's not a parcel yet. Um, but that overall parcel size does equate to 1.62 acres, right. um, which is approximately uh, 65, 70,000 square feet. Um, so when you look at the density as a whole, um, the, the maximum density for the R1 is eight units per acre. Right. Um, if you apply that to the whole um, property site, I think it comes out to um, about 8.5 units, 
and they're proposing 10. So it's, it's about a unit and a half, two units above um, traditional neighborhood traditional. law. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, okay, that leads me then to, again, I don't want to be doing math on the fly because I just can't do it today. Uh, if you take a look at Table 2, uh, the lot widths, and I would imagine that what we're talking about is deviations on, let's, let's take parcel 2. It says west is 45.5 feet and east is 45.5. I understand then that the, the deviation is the west property line in a north-south dimension is 45.5 when the normal would be 52. Is that the correct way to interpret that? Correct. Um, but what what happens is if you look at the lot size, say for lot eight, because that has a heritage tree on it, right. um, it's like triple the size of a normal residential lot. So it equals out to a normal density if you take all those factors into account. And, and, and my point is not necessarily density, but to establish one through eight, we are at the high end of the traditional neighborhood low density of three to eight. So we're on the high end. Yes. Okay. So. Again, I want to uh, not get too deep in the math, but 45 is a deviation of 7, right? Yes. Okay, approximately. Let's not worry about 6 inches. 41 is a deviation of 14. If you add all those deviations together, and I did it quick, it comes to something like 76. So with the deviations that are being suggested for acceptance, in that just that one dimension, not only complicated but going east, we create one more parcel that would be allowed in that dimension if we held to the 52. Do you think that's a fair conclusion of my math? I think I think that's pretty fair. When we looked at it, if if you created a normal width lot on there, um, you'd effectively reduce that that row of lots one through six maybe by one lot. Okay. So uh, part of the goal is to have density in the three to eight range. If we lose one lot, you know, if we let's say the deviations in that uh, lot width was denied, lack of a better word, uh, it still would fit in the criteria of traditional neighborhood low. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Onward. Uh, I think I know, but I'll ask just for the public record. Uh, parcels 1 through 8 have floor plans. Parcels 9 and 10 do not. Why? Correct. At the, the time when we were working with the applicant, they did not have a floor plan, um, final floor plan yet available. We did mention to him um, we were con concerned about how uh, that existing, those two existing properties to the south would access. Um, I believe he's, he's looked at that. I don't know if he have, has an exhibit today on how that access would, would work. Um, but generally, because of the size of the lots, uh, they're approximately eight and 9,000 square feet. Um, and looking at the footprint he's provided, in, including all the setbacks and easements provided, we believe it still leaves a developable footprint that would uh, accommodate a single-family home. When would we or someone see those floor plans? At the time that the homes are being permitted? When would the... They, the they would be subject to site plan design review. At the time of um, permit? Before a, a per, before a building permit is issued, they'd have to go through the city site plan design right, as review part process. of the permitting process. Yes. And I believe the applicant has has provided their preliminary um, footprint layout of, of how lots nine and ten would would work. 
So these are oh, lots 9 and 10 here. Okay. Fourth Avenue coming this way. Right. House type D, house type B. So taken directly from the designs of lots one through eight. And, and got B those in your packet. The, B has the detached garage, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. E. These would both have detached garages. That's correct. And both. B. Okay, so we have two story then against adjacent to the north property line, which has single family or single story residences about eight feet off, the, off that property line. I don't think that's correct. Okay. Um, if we're looking about the apartments to the yes. north of lots nine yes. and ten, I won't swear to the distance from the wall to those apartments at Land Park Woods, but I, yeah, I've, Michael tells me it's 15 feet. I've I've done a pull up on the wall and I've I've looked, and you can you can peek around the corner as well and see okay. they're they're much more distant than eight feet. Okay, on uh, Google it looks. A lot closer than eight feet, but okay, sure. I will take that for granted. Um, do you have a design or width of that access road uh, from Fourth Avenue into Nine and Ten, and the two homes that are south of Nine and Ten? We don't have specifics on that design. We're, we're required by condition to reach an agreement with Mr. Kale and with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jersey. Would, would that agreement include consideration of sidewalks and or parking on the access road? That agreement would, uh, what we're required to do under the condition is fire, reach a design. Fire department said no parking. I understand. No sidewalks on the I understand. We're, we're required to reach a design that, that all three impacted neighbors, meaning us, Kale, and Jersey, can agree to. There's not going to be parking and there's not going to be sidewalk on any sort of private drive coming through here. What, and that's for fire issues. And I apologize if it's in a condition and I just don't recall it, but what prohibition on the sidewalk? My short answer and the most honest answer is because that's what the fire folks said. Um, I'm sure they have good reasons for it. I think the reason is this. They've got to be able to get firefighting ability from out here all the way back into there. Understood. And they need they need access that might be impeded somewhat by by sidewalk. Okay, so uh, I'm going deviating from my notes here, but sure. To, to, we have essentially guest parking on Fourth Avenue. That's what a staff report suggests. That's that's close to there. There is guest parking in lots nine and ten. Okay, but not for the two homes to the south necessarily. So my concern about the lack of my concern about a lack of a driveway is where do the guests park and how do they access those units? They're walking down a street or an access lane. Okay. So, so right now, um, there's a driveway for this lot. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's entryway for Tony Kale's lot, but there's not a parking space of any sort on what exists. What's going to happen when we add two homes is that each of these homes will have guest parking associated with it. Okay. And 4th Avenue will remain available for street parking. Understood. And it's that street parking and being able to park there and how do you get to the homes? You're walking down a lane without a sidewalk. Is that correct? If you park on the street and you need to walk to, for instance, lot 9? Or, or the parcel just south of that. 
the historic house that we've been referring to. Sure. You're going to walk there without a sidewalk? Yes. And you'll, you'll do the same thing today? Okay. Well, there's not as much traffic in the future as there is today, though, because you have homes, you have yes. But that, I mean, we're talking about two additional homes. I don't think it's a dramatic increase in traffic. Okay. Well, that's, that's opinion. Okay. Uh, and you may know the neighborhood and staff may, uh, in evaluating on-street parking, there are some uh, cases where driveway to driveway on some narrower lots that will only allow for one car in front of a home. It's two cars back to back, maybe as 36 feet or so. Is it? Is there the ability there? As you know, you recall your research to park two cars in front of a house between the sidewalks or only one. Uh, when we looked at the, the on-street parking, we looked at the north side of Fourth Avenue, which backs up to the apartment, so there's no driveways there. And we looked at the west side of Santa Buena, also no driveways there, so you, it's it's free to to park multiple cars along okay, the street. Okay, so Fourth Avenue only serves maybe four homes, the two new ones and the two existing. Uh, Santa Buena will serve the other eight. It is a long ways from Swanston to Unit 8. So they are going to be walking that distance when they park in the street. Yeah, let me, let me make a couple points clear. Um, first, as to 4th Avenue, it sounded to me like there might have been some confusion, right? We're adding two homes at lots 9 and 10 that both have two car garages and both have room for two additional cars of guest parking. Um, so that, that much I want to make sure we're all clear on. Right, which uh, is not the same as in parcels, at least one through six. They do not have parking in front of the garage, do they? Absolutely right, absolutely right. So when we originally proposed the project, um, things were moved away from the freeway with the idea that you could park in a driveway and then park a car in, or two or three cars in the two and three car garages. Um, through the process of working back and forth with staff, um, it was suggested that we move everything closer to the freeway to create more space between our homes and the existing homes in Land Park. We think that's the right idea. We think it's better to have a little more open space, a little more green for the families who live in, in our development, and the cost of that is the ability to park in a driveway. Um, what we end up with is, again, two, uh, excuse me, three-bedroom homes with two to three-car garages, and you're right, as to... Sir, at this point in time, I think you've answered the question no. from Commissioner okay. E. So okay. this is actually Commissioner E's time for comment. Sure. Um, thank you. The west access road that we were just talking about, that will not have, any, uh, have a sidewalk either. That's correct. Okay. Okay, well, I clearly have a concern about access to those units from wherever, wherever you can park. Sure. So, okay, I will yield at this point. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly. Again, commissioners, we are in a position where comments and motions are uh, opportune. Commissioner Wong Connolly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I want to follow up with uh, uh, both Commissioner E and Commissioner Kaufman's question. So sounds like uh, you plan to have your guests parking along the uh, Santa Buena Way, and then the neighbors has concern about the lighting, the landscape. Frankly, I think uh, 
the homeowner of your potential lot, they would worry about the same thing. So do you, uh, does that uh, build a, a, a nexus that you can improve uh, the stretch of the, uh, the Santa Buena Way, that uh, where you pl uh, plan to use for the guest parking for those units, and then put better lighting and then better landscape? I mean, that, would, would this something that uh, uh, you would consider? To the extent that, that yours is a legal question about whether there's, there's a legal nexus under the Nolan and Dolan line of cases that would, would make it justifiable for the government to impose a condition on this development to do work on Santa Buena Way, I, I think the answer is pretty clear that there's, there's not a legal nexus like that. that. Those are problems that currently exist. Those are problems that won't be exacerbated by our project. To the contrary, I think one of the best things you can do if, as, as Mr. Leviach pointed out, You've got a problem with people parking cars there and using them for, for prostitution and for drug deals. Building some nice homes here, having some eyes on the street is going to improve that situation. It's not going to cut against it. Um, I want to consult with the legal counsel. Does that not build uh, a nexus that uh, they are going to use the existing um, uh, Buena, uh, Santa Buena way and then they, uh, they investment to make this uh, stretch a little nicer? Uh, isn't that reasonable or it has no legal standing? I, th I think so. When the gentleman was talking earlier, we were talking about other problems. I believe what you're talking about is an actual access problem created right. by the development and having people get to it. So right. I am more comfortable with that. That is not the issue that I understood the gentleman was talking about earlier, wanting to create the park with vagrants. You're talking about an access issue. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. For the clarity. So, um, then uh, this is a question for, um, for uh, Mr. Mulder, that uh, would you object to, uh, to provide a better uh, landscape just for the stretch that uh, you plan to provide the eight cars or, for, or however cars for your uh, guests um, in the, between units one, one and eight or one and six, one to six, if for better lighting and landscape along the Santa Buena Way. You're asking me Mr. Moser, could you please step to the microphone? And You're asking if I'm willing to landscape down Santa Buena Way? Well, just the, just the part that uh, will provide the parking for your units. Well, the part that uh, my land is contiguous onto Santa Buena or onto uh, Swanston about 20 feet or 40 feet, and then it, it funnels out. So are you asking me to, to commit to do off-site work onto Santa Buena? Well, where are the guest parking would be on Santa, uh, Santa Buena? Would that be, but I understand that's pro the part in, within your property, there is no parking zone. So you will have to park at the, the, the off-site. Yes, we'll have to park off-site. That's yeah, correct. So I'm asking that part of, off-site that you are using at, as parking, do you object to provide better landscape for that stretch? Again, I, I don't believe that the city can condition me to, to do off-site projects have that far away from from our site so mr. Moser the question is just she's asking a question as it relates to whether you'd be willing to, to take that on as a condition you can no, answer that as you would and then I think that would address no, that, that would be onerous on my project to to and, and require me to do off-sites that, that aren't required for any other developer and as as to the nexus issue again if, if the reason for the improved lighting is to to combat crime if our homeowners had guests park on Santa Buena, that eliminates an opportunity for people to use those spots 
for drugs and prostitution, again, reducing okay. crime, I, I not think, increasing it. Again, I want to stick to the scope of the question from Commissioner Juan Connolly. This is Commissioner uh, uh, comment period. So, Commissioner Juan Connolly, do you have additional questions? Or? Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I remembered my question and I got two more. So you might want to let Mr. Moser answer this one, but um, apropos to the earlier comment from Commissioner Wong Connolly about the freeway noise, not really why Mr. Buford brought up McKinley Village earlier, but we spent a lot of time on uh, window treatments to block freeway noise on that project. Have you given any consideration for how your uh, west-facing windows and lots eight through, excuse me, one through uh, seven might deal with freeway noise? There are absolutely no windows that are occupied that face the freeway. There's a couple windows you see in the window, but that's in flex space. That's in just storage space above the garage. There are no occupancy windows that face the freeway. It's just they don't happen in this project. They don't exist. Because there's no windows or because there's garages there? Because there's no windows. There's no windows that face the freeway. Let me be really clear on that. Um, you've, you've seen an exhibit already tonight that, that shows a few windows that are west-facing. And I think what we haven't made real clear this evening is this notion of flex space that Mr. Moser just talked about. These houses run from something like 1,600 to about 2,200 square feet. And that's a measurement that's made exclusive of the flex space that exists above each and every garage. The flex space, as you can see on this picture, some of it has west-facing windows. I see four little windows. This is space that's not included in the square footage of the home. It's there first and foremost as noise barrier for the homeowner and for the neighborhood, and it's intended to be used as a gym, as a storage area. And so when Mr. Moser says there's no west-facing windows, I think the more accurate thing to say is there's no west-facing windows in any part of any of these homes. It's intended for something other than noise abatement or noise mitigation and storage. <laughs> okay. Uh, if I can boil your answer down, you're telling me that you've already addressed the noise issues. Am I understanding you correctly? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. One more for the applicant. So um, the, uh, how do I call it? The big elbow of the L-shaped parcel, parcel with the big oak tree? Yes. That's part of lot eight, right? That's so right. when, and I apologize, I forgot his name, but the owner of parcel 35, the 1856 house, he talked a lot about, about a foot traffic going through there today. So help me understand why, I actually don't understand what's just to the north of lot eight, but, and, but I know what the path looks like in the parcel now. So if I were to continue up the private drive that is in the back, is the access for lots one through, one through eight, um, seems to me that if I were continuing to use that as a route to the north, I would be trespassing across lot eight. Help me understand why that's not going to happen. When people, first of all, that property, the, 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 the main, what he called a freeway, is right now people jumping the fence, going into, the, into uh, Land Park from Land Park Woods and from the other, the Alder Creek and, and the other project areas. That's what this freeway is being created by. Um, one, one comment that the officers made when we were in planning, Officer Juan, was that's a major 
escape route for burglars that come into Land Park, commit a burglary, and then jump off the fence. When there are houses there and people living there, that problem's not going to happen. Because when somebody's running with a TV to jump over a fence, there's going to be somebody there say, somebody just ran across my yard with a TV. Right now, it's just a big open field that's created this problem. So with eyes on the street and people living in this community, that's not going to be an issue anymore. People are no longer going to feel comfortable to be able to jump and escape that route out of Land Park. I don't want to litigate the issue with you, but that little piece of property I'm talking about is covered by a very large oak tree. But I'm not going to litigate the issue. Mr. Ablog, just to close this out, um, if we want to talk about any of these crime prevention issues, Mr. Wan left. No, neither you nor Mr. Uh, no, anyone else on staff is is prepared to no, talk about what you got staff. there on that? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Uh, again, we do not have a motion on the table. And uh, again, we have the opportunity to provide comments regarding uh, Commissioner's thoughts on this item. Commissioner Rogers, followed by Commissioner Pluckabaugh. Thank you, Chair. I just wanted to make a comment. Um, it, it seems to me from the discussion that we've had tonight that a lot of what the issues are are really related to density. And it appears to me from the, the flood control, the, the trees, the environmental issues, the access, the parking, a variety of issues that we've talked about that we're just trying to squeeze too many houses onto this property. Um, the, the answer before about the flood control, I just did a quick little scratch calculation to see what that would be. If you tried to put a 7,600 cubic foot vault in the road, it would be approximately 10 feet wide, two feet high, and 380 feet long. So you're talking about a million dollar improvement uh, to mitigate a problem that exists because there's no space left to put the flood water. Um, so I think I'm going to have a hard time supporting this project. I think it just needs to be reduced in density a little bit. That's thank, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Rogers. Commissioner Pluckabaum. I share Matt's concerns about the project. Um, you know, in East Sacramento, we have similar thoroughfares with Elvis, and we've had similar projects with McKinley Village and uh, uh, River. Uh, as a River Park resident, I'll uh, dispute the, the claims of the neighbors that, that this is the most densely treated area of the city. I think we can uh, give you a run for your money. Um, so I, I share your concerns too. I, I believe the tree canopy is key to the livability of, of our neighborhoods and, and the city at, at large. Um, I do, uh, however, support um, the density of the project. I think that's key to making projects like this work and, and, and improving uh, uh, our, our land use uh, efficacy as a city. Uh, and we'll, um, I, I'd like to, you know, hear what my fellow commissioners think in terms of what uh, conditions or, or um, things we could do to, to um, you know, improve the staff recommendation or if, there's, if there is anything. But uh, uh, pending that, I'm going to just going to make a motion to uh, approve staff recommendation, and I'm open to any friendly amendments or suggestions or anything that, that might follow. Thank you, Commissioner Pluckabon. Do we have a second? I did not hear a second at this moment. Commissioner Kaufman. Oh, my apologies. Do you have a second from Commissioner Coville to move staff recommendation? Commissioner Kaufman. You know, uh, We've had this conversation uh, about increasing density in neighborhoods all across the city. And um, there are awkward pieces of property like this, and 
generally we have tried to push that density um, everywhere we've gone. Everybody has some responsibility for for doing that. Um, so I am going to be supportive uh, of this motion. I would say to uh, Mr. Levivich in particular, I think you have some real issues to discuss. I, I think the, the city attorney is right that there's a problem of nexus with some of the issues that have been raised. Nevertheless, I think they're probably realistic. This development may help with some of them by putting more eyes on the street. But I think that whether it's an assessment district whether it's speed bumps on 4th, whether it's meeting with the police department to work out better strategies for crime problems that the area is experiencing, I strongly encourage you to continue this conversation with the city. This may not be the right forum to solve those problems, um, but I, I, I think you need to, to make that effort. Um, I'm going to be supportive of this motion because the density is what we need in this area as well. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Commissioner Lindsay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I, 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 too, have a little bit of concerns about the density when I was out looking at the property today. Uh, it was a little hard to envision eight homes going down that stretch. But that being said, the area that I live in, in North Natomas, um, we have high density next to larger lots, 5,000 square foot lots. Uh, we don't have a lot of l many larger lots out there. So, and then in looking at infill, um, as it was noted, that this is what makes an infill project pencil out. Um, it is an odd shaped property. It is a, a little dense, but it's only, uh, it will only be 10, 10 homes. Um, I live in an area that has a very dense condominiums and T-courts and yes, parking can be an issue. Um, but when you are only considering uh, eight homes and then, and then two more homes, um, but I, I think you will still keep a dialogue with the neighbors and work closely with them Absolutely. and try to address some of the concerns. I, I was a little concerned with um, um, it's Buena, what's the name of the Santa name? Buena. San, yes, uh, the condition of it. I don't know who owns that, that strip of land, that buffer between the freeway and, and the street. Um, it really was kind of a mess. Caltrans. Huh? I think it's Caltrans. I really think that uh, somebody right. needs to be responsible for cleaning that up. It's 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 quite unsightly and it looks it looks like blight to me. So I agree. Um, I, I will be supporting the motion. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. <laughs> Commissioner Wong Connolly, followed by Commissioner Yee. All right, we're having some technical difficulties here. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I cannot say that I'm not disappointed about uh, that you don't, uh, the applicant doesn't agree to, um, to, to invest a little bit on the, um, to beautify that area that I think a neighbors ask is a reasonable request that uh, you are using that uh, piece of proper, you're using that stretch anyways. But uh, frankly, I have to say that despite that, uh, I went to the site, I realized it is a nice neighborhood, but along the Swanson uh, Drive, 
I mean, I noticed that the, the, uh, the, the further away from the freeway, the house is better maintained, but anything closer to the freeway, you know, I don't know, it's a rental property or, so that being said, I believe that uh, they add more houses and put more eyes down the street, more usage. Um, hopefully that turned out to be a better thing for that, uh, for, for the neighbors. But I do want to, um, the applicant has already agreed to add a condition for a double painted window to block the, uh, the noise. And uh, I would like to ask the uh, makers and second of the motion to add that as a condition of uh, just a double painted window. Um, I don't know if. Uh, so we have a request for double painted windows as a condition to, I see from Commissioner Puckabom an agreement, Commissioner Coville as well. So we have an amended motion um, with double pane windows uh, included with the staff recommendation. Um. Commissioner Coville? There are already double pane windows. You're talking about something in addition to that though, right? Uh, no, just pane windows. Right, we're already there, which is right. why. The oh. Dual pane windows are on almost every new house. You're talking about something in addition to the dual pane windows. Right? Uh, I guess no? just a, a particular architectural feature to the whatever rating it requires to block the the noise for the uh, residents inside your, the units, I guess. Um, but if it's already dual painted, um, I guess is that uh, something building department they would check uh, the architectural? They they would check the sound uh, attenuation. Yes, as well? typically windows are already dual pane, and as Mr. Buford mentioned, um, the noise rating of those windows is checked at, at building permit time. There are specific windows um, that do have uh, sound transmission ratings um, to reduce noise, um, but at, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert at, at building and sound transmission of windows, so I couldn't formulate a condition that, that could address specific levels of attenuation for windows, but they will be dual pane, and the, the noise attenuation of those generally does happen uh, the check does happen at the building permit time. Well, maybe we just add a note for them to, to check. I guess we don't need to add an additional condition for it. Um, and then uh, also those are not, uh, uh, I guess those are uh, advisory. Like for when we check the landscape uh, plan, when we approve for this project, I hope that uh, um, additional consideration could be given to uh, the type of trees to block the noise and also the location if it makes sense to be along the freeway um, to block the noise for the uh, potential residents in that uh, property. And that's something that uh, we can consider when we check the landscape plan. I think both planning staff and our um, arborists would be amenable to some kind of augmentation of the tree replacement strategy to, to look at placement of, of where those trees will be. Okay. And then also when you do the site and design review for the 9th and 10th uh, parcel, please uh, pay special attention for the, pri uh, the privacy of the units. That uh, I know that currently they, they have three big trees, but how does that relate to um, his privacy on the 400 uh, 24th unit owner. And then also I urge the developer to work out with uh, the unit's uh, owner, the, the property owner who's gonna share the driveway to make sure he agrees on the removal of the gazebo or it has to remove or it can stay or the driveway issue that the Commissioner E brought up. That comment's well Sir. taken. Yeah. Thank you, I just at this point, I think you can have a seat because we're gonna be providing comments. Appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Yee, followed by Commissioner Coville. 
Thank you. Maybe just a short continuation on, on the dual pane windows and such. You know, I understand that you know there are a number of reasons for dual pane windows. One of which is sound attenuation. But unless there is a goal, it's hard to say whether it should be dual pane, triple pane, or what have you. So uh, unless there's a criteria for trying to have a sound transfer coefficient between interior and exterior, I think you're a double pane for other reasons. I think also uh, windows tend to be the weak link, but if you start beefing up the windows too much, then the walls become the weak link. And so there needs to be a balance there. So. I, th I think that's something the city will work out, uh, the design will work out, and as long as it's being checked, at least it's dual pane, and with the minimum amount of insulation required by Title 24 and energy considerations, uh, it, it will be what it will be. Uh, I understand the discussion about density, the challenge of infill, of density as uh, an outreach of financial feasibility. Uh, what I find different here is the distance from guest parking to some of these units. It is not like a T-Court or some of those others where parking is, and I'm not that familiar with some of those areas, but it does not feel from, or I do not recall from previous project reviews that they were that far away. Uh, it is the distance from guest parking uh, whether you think it's safe guest parking on the street or less safe, uh, my, my concern is the distance. Uh, I am also, and I know this is part of the process, but I will be candid in saying I am troubled by the lack of specificity on lots 9 and 10. I know that we were presented with some floor plans just now, but in addition, the access road and the lack of a sidewalk uh, troubles me. And that's not necessarily before us at this point. Uh, I guess all that to say is that while I understand infill, I understand density, I will not be supporting this project. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner Coville. I, I did uh, forgot that there was something I wanted to add or at least question. Is this hole in the fence? Is this like a cyclone fence? This is where people are going from the neighbor's property across where lots 8, 9, and 10 are going to be. No, they're jumping over an 8-foot block wall. Jumping over the wall? Yes. Okay. Thank you. And, and I just want to add, uh, to try to help the neighbors a little bit, um, I met with Caltrans engineers in a different capacity some time ago, and they told me when they put those walls in, uh, along the freeways that in actuality it stopped noise real close to the freeway but it actually created a lot more noise some further distance away from the freeway um, so it was unforeseen uh, it, uh, issue that came up with those walls um, I myself live a couple blocks um, from I-5 and it's much noisier where I am than the people that are right next to the freeway. So uh, just to help people maybe that make them feel a little bit better. And I think these houses are going to do nothing more but, but break up some of that noise. Thank you, Commissioner Coville. Commissioner Farrell. Well, um, thank you, Chair. Um, with Commissioner's um, bill, 
next to me, mentioned he would uh, entertain thoughts to help um, ease the density. So at the, uh, the hammerhead for the fire turnaround, between lots six and seven? Yes, sir. Is there any way to put uh, extra parking for guest parking in that area there? I can shift those two garages around and create two spots at the end, but by lots seven and eight, I can create two parking spots up there by those two detached Which, garages. That would alleviate the guests walking the lar large. Uh, it would. And so w would that be? I would be amenable to that. So could I add that? All right, so just for clarification, the amendment would be to? Add guest parking. Um, one space each on lot eight, one space on lot seven. Right. Commissioner Pluckebaum, be amenable to that. Commissioner Coville. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I do have a question, though. Yes, sir. You, you're saying you're, you're going to put those parking spaces on lot seven and eight? Yes. So you're not going to change what's here. You're just going to need... Uh, guest parking on those two lots? No, the, 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 the private road, we aren't creating an HOA, so there's going to be no HOA fees. It's going to be created by a joint maintenance use agreement. So these two guest parking spots would be included in that joint maintenance use agreement. But they'll be on the owner's prop, the parking on, on all On the owners of all eight to, to jointly maintain them under, okay. under the agreement. The two additional parking spaces will be on the owner's lot on seven and eight. That's correct. And we'll create an easement that allows those to be used as parking spots. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Farrell and Commissioner Coville. Commissioner Vice Chair Burke. I'm not answer my question. Any additional commissioner comments? I do want to follow up on Commissioner Juan Connolly's comment, and may or may not be appropriate, but I think Commissioner Juan Connolly's comment about the impact off-site um, where uh, the guest parking, some of the guest parking would be identified is a legitimate one. Uh, and while I understand, Mr. Moser, that uh, at this point you've mentioned that you're not necessarily amenable to the landscaping, um, I would like to... I would like to see if Commissioner Pluckabon would, would entertain that condition, as I believe um, that that would actually be uh, a responsible neighbor uh, uh, concept. Uh, your thoughts? The condition would be the landscape where? Uh, the landscape, basically uh, to have the project responsible for landscaping adjacent to the street parking uh, offsite. I, let me ask a question. How would I get permission to, to, to landscape on Caltrans property? They're never going to let me touch their property. Sal, Sal Trans, Caltrans owns that property. The question. Would the condition be if feasible or if agreeable to Caltrans, something like that? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, we, we do have, have happen to have a, a lawyer on the dais. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't put him on the spot. We have one. How about my lawyer with me also? Uh, Commissioner Foster, would you care to comment? I actually. Actually, I was about to ask the same question you were asking about making it conditional, and he answered it, so I 
uncued. Un I've got no special expertise on this, but I don't know. I think we've done this lots of times when there was an intervening property right we conditioned on, on that intervening property right. In this case, the intervening property right is the state of California. So, so I, would, I would like to put forward uh, that uh, friendly amendment with the addition that if it is indeed feasible. I just asked maybe for a little more clarity on where we're looking for the landscaping and, and what, what would be expected. I'd, I'd hate to end up in a place where, you know, several months down the line, we've got a big fight over, you know, we think we've done our best to comply with, with this new condition. We've done it in good faith. We've worked at it. And somebody says you didn't do enough. So to the, to the extent that with a little more discussion, you could give us a little more detail, I would appreciate it. At this point, I, what I would recommend is, is that we would work with staff and staff would be able to identify parameters of, as to what that landscape might be. Mr. Avila, would you might be able to add I'd, to that? I think based on that, we'd probably lead, need a little more clarity in how many actual guest spaces the, the, the commission was looking at. Um, an, another thing from, from my perspective, if the question is actually um, an issue related to, to crime or nefarious activity, is landscaping really the best way to address that or is coordination with the police department and the neighbors actually a better way to address those type of issues? I, I take that uh, into consideration. I think that's a very good point. Um, as I, I'm going to process that as, as we're figuring that out because there's a few other questions that have come up from other commissioners and I may come back with another uh, revision to that, but thank you. Commissioner Yee, and followed by Commissioner Ogilvie. Thank you. And, and so uh, the caveat uh, that precedes a couple of comments is that I will not be supporting the motion. But nevertheless, uh, guidance as to how much parking. So we have now had the applicant agree to two, park, to, uh, two parking uh, uh, spaces on the property. There are uh, eight parcels there. So maybe uh, eight minus two is six. So six times 18 is whatever that is. And maybe that's how many lineal feet of landscaping on the west side of uh, Santa Buena between that curb and the, uh, the Caltrans wall. Maybe that's a guideline for how many lineal feet of landscaping there could be. Generally, Just, when, when we look at um, parallel parking spaces on the street, our requirement is for a 25-foot spot um, that allows people to, to back in and out, so times six is 150 feet. All I'm saying is maybe six. So whatever that dimension is, as, as a suggestion, some sort something semi-rational. Uh, to the notion of landscaping, you know, we're talking also about, uh, well, unless you go to drought-tolerant landscaping, we're, we could be talking about uh, maintenance, Who's going to maintain that? Is that the HOA's responsibility to go all the way out there to do that? Uh, if there is irrigation and there's water, then there's controllers. There's, I mean, there's a, a lot that goes into uh, establishing and maintaining a strip of, of, uh, of uh, landscape. And, you know, whether it is ground cover or something a little higher, there are pluses, bonuses to all of that. Uh, so just a comment on a motion that I won't support. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner Ogilvie, followed by Commissioner LaFasso. Thank you. Um, a few things. While I can certainly empathize with uh, crime and blight issues um, to the west side of Santa Buena, um, I just don't see how that should become the burden of this particular development to 
to repair. Um, not to say that it shouldn't be addressed and the city should address it and the owner of the property should address it, but I don't see how it's this particular project's burden. Um, I also don't share the same concerns about guest parking. It, I don't see it as being kind of a, a constant issue and it also, there are sidewalks on both sides of Swanston and on the east side of Santa Buena, so I think somebody would more likely park, you know, adjacent to a sidewalk, adjacent to a house, rather than on the west side of Santa Buena. That's where I would park my car. Um, and then they can use the private walkway, right, to the, to the residences. Um, as far as issues around kind of flood control, I, I agree, and I'm a big supporter of infill development, but this is also very prox close to the river, and I, I think moving forward, the city should consider some kind of flood mitigation control measures in the design. I know, you know, there's a lot of pavement on the site and maybe there could be more <coughs> open cell paving um, along that, the driveway. I don't really understand why the private driveway needs to be 24 feet wide. That seems excessive um, in this context. I don't know if that's for backing up or. That, that was a fire requirement. I we, know, but then they yeah. only require a 20 foot wide lane. So I don't know where that extra four foot comes from. Uh, Mr. Abelog, do you, do you want to comment on that? At the beginning off of Swanston Drive, it starts out at 24 and then it bottlenecks down to 20 for the remainder of the project until you get into the little U-shape towards the north part of the project. I know the fire department has and SMUD, some of the utility departments will have conditions about the paving needing to bear some some weight for their vehicles and you know I think open cell paving where water can permeate or you can have grass growing or vegetation growing out of it can't withstand the weight of some of these heavier trucks but maybe there's a way where there's like a thinner access aisle with that's paved concrete to alley standards and then some of it is is more permeable I don't know just some ideas the city can think about moving forward especially building what looks like I don't know 100 feet from the river Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm going to be br I want to help you with your condition, Mr. Chairman. I, uh, I was intrigued by Mr. Ablock's comment about what's actually the best solution to the problem. I think the applicant's entitled to have a condition that they understand and can comply with. But, you know, most of usually when we do that, we basically make it to the satisfaction of staff, and staff gets to judge the reasonableness of the uh, efforts. But I, I don't know if, if apropos to Mr. Ablog's um, comment that, um, that uh, is landscaping the way to solve this issue we're talking about. I'll be honest with you, I'm, not, I'm actually having up and trapping it. But one simple solution to this would be to condition a requirement for the applicant to provide some kind of plan to mitigate what we're all talking about to staff satisfaction and just let staff work out with the applicant. I don't know if that's satisfactory to you or uh, you or Commissioner Wong Connolly, but really I'm just trying to offer you some help to close out. Thank you, Commissioner Fosso. Are you, are you putting that forward as a friendly amendment? No, I'm okay. making suggestions because it's really yours and Commissioner Wong Connolly's issue. Thank you. Commissioner Wong Connolly, would you like to comment before I, I comment on Commissioner LaFosso's recommended uh, articulation of the condition?
Your, your microphone is not on. You just put the speaker. I can call you up. Um, so to work to the um, satisfaction of the staff, but the staff seems to uh, believe that uh, um, maybe we can get the uh, um, uh, actually the the neighbors that uh, who originally brought this issue to talk about that uh, when you mentioned the landscape and uh, to make that area more um, agreeable, more friendly for the uh, people to walk along the path, go to from the park, the car to the unit, uh, what kind of picture that you were actually painting? <clears throat> well, uh, as far as what that looks like, I can't say at this point. The neighbors have raised it as a concern, and if we could do some sort of road narrowing, I know that's not of the purview of this project, um, but to say that we're going to put in drought-tolerant plants, you know, that's probably not going to solve the issue. The issue is a flawed design of the street itself. And so if we could think of ways creatively, I, I'm using this project as a platform to let you guys know that this is an issue. And I'm not saying that they created the problem, but I don't think the problem is mitigated by this development. I, I think it probably makes it worse, if, if anything. So. Uh, maybe it's me working with staff through the neighborhood association and the developer to see if we can think of something that could work for all sides. Uh, but, the, but the reality is it's a, it's a blighted area now. Um, it's not getting any better. And my research says that that 25-foot landscape area is actually owned by the city and not Caltrans. Caltrans has said that they own up to the sound wall. They own the sound wall. The 25-foot landscape area, that's the city's. And then you have a 40-foot wide street. So... Again, I don't have the answers tonight as to what exactly that would look like, uh, but there needs to be some improvement. Thank you. Then I guess if uh, we should, uh, if it's a good idea to ask the HOA to uh, work with, uh, to extend, to work with the neighbors to how to come up with a, a plan to improve the area, uh, I guess that. So, so real quick, Commissioner Wong Conley, I'll, I'll, I'll speak slightly out of turn and just to go back. Based on what I've heard from uh, Mr. Ablog and from the other commissioners, um, I do not uh, intend on moving forward with any uh, uh, suggested amendment language at, at this point. Um, so at, at this point, if, if you'd like to do so, I, 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 this is your opportunity to do so. Um, I guess I, I do not know. Um, um. Not, I, I wouldn't suggest as a condition, but uh, just something that uh, uh, if it's possible for the HOA to um, work with the neighbor, since uh, they are going to share the, the road that as a parking lot for them. Mr. I, I think whether it becomes a condition or, or not, we, we do have letter, the letter on record. We will share that with the police department to let them know that it's an, it's an ongoing issue. Um, whether that get, that it's the commission's purview to, to try to address that with this project or not, um, staff will bring that issue up with, with our police department. Thank you. Thank you. I guess that satisfied what I was concerned about. Right. Thank you. Thank Vice you. Chair Burke. Just real quickly, Mr. Chairman, I, I was out there today and I, I agree with some of the concerns that, that was expressed, but a, a citizen, a resident can always contact the city and public works can look at a street and, or whatever, correct? Is it, there's other ways of 
Yes, for 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 traffic mitigation, there there is a process where you can request traffic calming, um, and of course, police they're they're available um, at any time to to respond to to any um, crime issues. I guess like call through with one or something, they'll write them to the right department who can handle that or? Correct, and uh, we do have Mr. Leviach's contact information. We could get him um, the information for both the, the correct police department contact and the correct uh, department of transportation contract contact um, so that he doesn't, won't have to go through the 311 process to, to try to find that out. Thank you. Vice Chair Berg, Commissioner LaFaso. Okay, one last try and then hopefully we can vote. Having very clearly heard you, Mr. Ablog, about what may or may not and likely is not the purview of the Commission, given the bundle of issues if we talked about, if we had a condition or even advisory note that acknowledged or required, whatever's the appropriate word, the applicant to engage staff, the city staff, and the neighborhood association, would that add any value in terms of staff's ability to to, to get to a solution. If staff thought that was a useful tool, I would recommend we incorporate that. If you don't think it is, I would not. I think it could be useful in that the staff here, here today may not be the staff that's looking at this when it comes in for plan check. Mm -hmm. So with this amorphous understanding we have, which is all conditioned on the satisfaction of the staff to protect the applicant's ability to guarantee fulfilling the condition, if we amended our motion to, to add this thing, you, you know what it is and you can draft it. We, we, could, we could draft something. We, we'd have to consult uh, the city attorney's office whether our condition um, does meet the qualifications for, for a nexus between the project and the condition that would be imposed. Okay. With all that, if the mover and the seconder want to incorporate that in the motion, I uh, offer it to them for their consideration. Um, I'm okay either way. Thank you, Mr. Ablog. Commissioner Pluckett-Bond. Thank you. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. So, we thought this strip was Caltrans. Now we believe it's the city. Why are we having this discussion about nexus to a property to a project when this is city property. It has been characterized as blighted. It has been characterized in a number of unsavory ways. Why is not the city addressing this issue? Why is, there, why is that discussion associated with this project if it is city land? And I, I think that leads to, to my, my first response to, to the chair. Uh, this may be better addressed through talking with our, our own city departments versus a condition on the project. I could, I could see maybe, I don't want to make this more complicated. If it belongs to the city, it should be to the city to resolve. If it does not belong to the city, then I think it, it could take a whole other track. But if indeed it is the city, let them take care of it. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. And it's, it's for uh, Commissioner Puckabom. I, I think an advisory note that suggests that the developer work with the, the city in good faith to find a solution that's uh, beneficial to the, to the existing residents is fine. If uh, Doug, you good with that? Commissioner Covell, your microphone, please. No requirement, just a that's suggestion. That's not putting any actual requirement on it because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I just don't see why it's this developer's responsibility to take care of 
something on that property just because cars are going to park there. Other cars could park there all day long. Um, so I guess if it's an advisory, not actually a requirement, I, I'm fine with it. So we have an advisory that's included to uh, as, an, as an amendment to the existing motion, correct? Seeing that and just wanted to be very brief, I want to make sure to address um, the uh, local residents' concern about the project and at least to explain uh, my, my vote. Uh, I really appreciate your, your concerns about density and I think everyone here on this day has, has discussed density on a number of different projects. I really believe that housing diversity has been an issue that the city has been looking at across the board and that's not unique to the neighborhood. And particularly as seen with the housing type being undesirable, which is mentioned by a few individuals to each their own. I think we found in other projects that have come before us that started off as undesirable, have actually ended up being very popular and populated not by uh, some of the negative uh, populations that some might imagine. So I think that in the long run, while there are some some flaws that could be improved upon. Um, the housing diversity piece is what's tipping the scale for me as it relates to uh, voting in support of this project. Seeing no other comments, we have a motion to move forward with staff's recommendation with an amendment, and I apologize because it's rather late, um, to uh, include the advisory notes as stated by Commissioner LaFosso. I think we are prepared to vote. Commissioner LaFosso? Aye. Bill? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Luckybaum? Aye. Rogers? No. Juan Connolly? Aye. E? No. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Have a good night. I'd like to take a, a, a brief recess before our last item.
ladies and gentlemen, we will restart the hearing in approximately one and a half minutes. Welcome back to the Sacramento Plan Design Commission hearing. Moving on to item number 5M17-011, an ordinance amending section 17.228.610 of the Sacramento City Code relating to temporary residential shelters. Before Sandra presents her uh, this item, any Comments or disclosures? Vice Chair Burke. I talked to um, a representative of the downtown partnership, and all the information was in the staff report. Thank you. I too did have a conversation with staff from uh, downtown partnership, uh, consistent with the items in the staff report. You know, further comments, Ms. Yelp? Good evening. I am Sandra Yoke, Senior Planner for the uh, Zoning Administrator. The item before you consists of a change to the Planning and Development Code to remove the locational language from 17.228.610 relating to temporary residential shelters. The Mayor directed the City Manager to have City staff amend the code to remove the language that prevented churches and faith congregations from providing temporary housing for the homeless in the industrial zones. The proposed amendment removes the words church or faith congregation from the section 17.228.610A.2, which is the special use regulations of the Planning Development Code that contain the additional information and requirements for temporary residential shelters. The language is found in the small shelter section and will only apply to the heavy commercial industrial in industrial zones C4, M1, and M2. No other changes are proposed. Staff recommends the commission recommend approval and forward to the city council. Are there any questions? Commissioner Farrell, followed by Vice Chair Burke, followed by Commissioner Lufasa. So the American River Parkway and Flood Zone is by right okay to have homeless or ha shelter housing? Uh, within the staff report, what we provided was uh, the zones that you can apply for a shelter with a conditional use permit from the planning, the planning design commission. And so we listed the zones that 
per our land use tables include that and that would be uh, which I do not which included the American Parkway or the American River Parkway floodway zone but this ordinance has nothing to do with that okay I'm just I'm, I'm worried about that language but it, this ordinance has nothing to do with that. That language exists, and it will exist once after this goes through. This this ordinance has absolutely nothing to nothing to do with any of the existing the zones that require a conditional use permit. Thank you. Other than these industrial zones. Thank you, Commissioner Farrell, Vice Chair Burke. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, staff, for, for this. Um, we and this is a question I had this afternoon. You answered it, but I just want to bring it publicly so if other commissioners have the same question and get other thoughts on how you define temporary for this. The uh, code re defines a temporary residential shelter, that, which means a facility that provides short-term temporary housing to individuals or families, free or substantially below cost. The tenancies at such facilities generally do not exceed 60 days, although individuals and families may sometimes stay longer before they obtain long-term transitional or permanent housing. And then it goes on to say that this definition does not include emergency shelters and due to disasters and other language. Thank you. I just, just wanted that for the record, so because I had the same question, so thanks. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, a br I had another question, but a brief follow-up on Commissioner Farrell's question. So when staff reports say X is this and Y is that except Z, it's very hard to understand the relationship with, between Z and X. So do I understand correctly that the agricultural zone, the agriculture open space zone, et cetera, et cetera, referenced in that sentence, in those places, temporary shelters are not allowed either by right or with a conditional, conditional use permit. Is that correct? Okay. All the zones that are listed in the staff report, the ones you just agriculture, a temporary residential shelter are, is allowed if it obtains a conditional use permit from the Plan and Design Commission. In Agricultural zone, agricultural open space zone, flood zone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, hang on. I think the city attorney would like to add some clarification. Except, no, you're correct. So in, to your question, no, they cannot go there. Either by right or by conditional use permit. They're not allowed. Yeah, these so are, those zones, I stand, I'm this, sorry. And correct. Y is that, and except for Z, what that means is X is by right, Y is conditional use permit, Z is not allowed. That's what that means. Okay. Really just trying to decipher what you guys wrote. Second question, conditional use permits in residential zones, light commercial zones, C1, C2, et cetera. Are those uh, zoning administrator permits or how do you get, what, what level of approval are those conditional use permits? The, in the zones where it's permitted and we're not other than for other than the 
ones we're going to affect with this small with this change. I, I understand it's outside the scope of what's before us tonight. It's a background educational question. Zoning administrator or planning and design commission? There are some zones where it, uh, it's not planning and design commission, but majority are planning and design commission. All residential zones, all limited commercial commercial zones. There are times within the um, I'd have to go. I can go to the code in the heavy industrial. Th which are the heavy commercial C4, light industrial M1, M1S, heavy, heavy industrial M2, M2S, where they are allowed, um, if they meet the requirements, they're allowed by right. Otherwise, if they don't, then they go and they get various entitlements. The exception of that is the rubber district. I, I gotcha. I just thought uh, if there's an interest in temporary shelters, what is the approval process in some areas of the city seem to be a useful thing to clarify. Third question. You read the definition of temporary shelter in response to Vice Chair Burke's question. I gather the shelter isn't temporary. It's the stay of the client at the shelter that is temporary. Do I understand correctly? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Any additional questions from commissioners? none thank you very much now would be time for public comment uh, I did not have any comment slips or any public um, so uh, we are at a point in time where we can make a motion or provide comments Commissioner Pluckabon I move approval of staff recommendation all right we have a motion to move staff's recommendation and a sec from Commissioner Pluckabon second from Commissioner Juan Conley any additional questions or comments Seeing none, we are prepared to vote. Commissioner Ogilvie? Aye. Commissioner Yee? Aye. Commissioner Juan Connolly? Aye. Commissioner Rogers? Aye. Commissioner Pluckybaum? Aye. Commissioner Farrell? Aye. Commissioner Lindsay? Aye. Commissioner Kaufman? Aye. Commissioner Coville? Aye. Commissioner LaFasso? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you very much. Moving on, public comments not on the agenda. Uh, we have no one here, so there are no additional comments. Member comments. Commissioner LaFosso. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Question, I hope, for Ms. Cosgrove, and maybe it's not fair to ask you this question, but... Uh, Apropos to one of uh, uh, Director Gillespie's accomplishments, which was the uh, the tracking tool, which we talked about about two months ago, um, an issue that I've been interested in is how neighborhood associations get to utilize it. And every time I talk to a neighborhood association, they bring things up, especially these neighbors. Hard to follow, and this and that, you know, trying to acclimate them to that. I apologize, Commissioner Fosso. It's okay. Um, I, I think you got an ovation. <laughs> you might even get a second term for that. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, any insights on marketing that tool to neighborhood associations? Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, we've actually been, uh, several members of uh, the planning staff meet regularly with neighborhood services staff. and. Um, 
part of what we will be talk speaking with them about at our next meeting is uh, they've asked us to come with them to um, out to neighborhood group meetings, certain neighborhood groups that they're targeting to be able to demo development tracker. We're also putting together a uh, kind of a one-page flyer that they'll be able to send out and just kind of blast out to all of their neighborhood groups. Um, the neighborhood groups um, have, since, since you saw the demo, um, we have been using it for routing all of our projects. So um, neighborhood associations, we're, we're phasing out, sending out any sort of PDF that accompanies the link as well because people have a hard time, uh, some, some groups have a hard time uh, taking large file sizes. Um, so we're just sending them the link now. So I think groups are um, using it and um, hopefully uh, that through that repetitive use of receiving our routings and accessing the plans that way people will get more familiar with it. Appreciate it, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wilfasso, and I apologize for pressing the wrong button. Here we go. Commissioner Ogilvie, followed by Commissioner Kaufman. The follow-up on outreach for the um, development tracker, I don't know what type of outreach you've done, but you could also look into posting it on Nextdoor, which is an app a lot of people use that aren't necessarily tied to a neighborhood association. I don't know if um, Facebook is always good, but you just have to get somebody with a big following, or it could be included in your notifications to neighbors for projects, and then also maybe on um, you know the actual physical sign that's posted on properties for development. If people want to see what the status is, that would be a great way to, to learn more about the project. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Commissioner Kaufman. Mr. Chair, so over the past several years, a number of us have asked uh, for uh, discussion items on agendas or workshops on a variety of different issues. I dare say none of them have happened. Uh, would it be possible for you prior to the next meeting to solicit everybody on the commission about issues that they might want to have considered in that way? And make it an agenda item for a soon to soon to be scheduled meeting, so that we can sort out which ones we really want to focus on and what the priority order would be. Because clearly, when you finally get a new director, you're going to have some work uh, plan issues you're going to have to deal with. And I would just really like these things included in, uh, in that sense of, of what the work plan would be. Yeah, um, when commission asks for, um, you know, to have research done or studies done, um, depending on the scope and the breadth of what's requested, sometimes it's difficult for us to spend and dedicate staff time to it if it's not something that's associated with a project. So um, I know some of them that I've done in the past two years have been like when we did the ABC presentation or um, we did a report back on um, accessory dwelling units. Um, so we get to some of them, but some of them are, require a much broader scope. But I'd be happy to help prioritize. That really helps us I, I, I to totally, know what you want. I totally get that. But we need to have some organized process. So, for example, I know there have been requests that I've made and others have made for having a more complete discussion of what we have planned for our commercial corridors, how do they compare to one another, what are we looking to do that's the same? What are we looking to do that's different in these places so that we have a basis for uh, looking at projects that are attendant to those corridors? 
but that's not been done. I, and I understand that there may be reasons why that doesn't fit into staffing patterns and work plans. Nevertheless, we may think it's really important to do. And all I'm asking for is an opportunity for us as a group to sort of sort out what our priorities are so that we can say, look, you need to find some way to fit this into 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 the work plan for the department. And I understand that you know that it's been tough and it's not project related uh, directly, immediately, necessarily, but there's still longer term policy things that we need to that we need to sort out. Well, Commissioner Coffin, what I think I hear you saying is if, if there's an opportunity for us to basically build a, a, a list of, of key items and then possibly prioritize that to pass on the staff and then hopefully staff could look at their workload and, and, and find a way to prioritize and fit that in. Is that what you're looking for? Yes. I think that's a reasonable ask. Thank you. Thanks. Commissioner Pluckabon. Thank you. Uh, uh, before Commissioner Pluckabon speaks, I think the city attorney would like to comment. I, I'm sorry, just to make sure I'm clear. I know I'm stating the obvious, but if, if you're asking you're going to Stacia will send out an email and you're going to send items to be added to a list. Obviously, we wouldn't violate the Brown Act and <laughs> you would all individually reply to Stacia and there would right. be no group discussion. Okay, sorry. Thank you. Darn. Commissioner Pluckabomb. Uh, my only uh, request would be that on that list of priorities that there be some um, indication of um, cost or level of effort that, so that we could um, assess the, the relative value of those types of things. I think it's, it takes a lot of staff time to do these types of uh, efforts, and I, just, I want us to be mindful of that as we as we undertake those things. Thank you, Commissioner Wonkali, Commissioner LaFaso. And uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. And I I really think that is a great idea to be well informed. And I, uh, if possible, the subject that we're interested, in, if we can find an expert who has done this before, and then give us a a, a presentation and then allow us afford us the opportunity to ask questions. What related to um, this subject area? That how does that apply? For example, you know, we heard that they the. Uh, for, for example, the Riverside development, if we have other uh, city has done this and very successfully and then we are trying to look into it and they can come to tell us what they have done. And I think, I don't know how much staff time that require, but I think this will be a good forum for us to, to ask questions and to, uh, to learn and discuss about it. And obviously I would like to hear what my colleagues say on this subject, so that will be a good forum. And it sounds like if we put the list together, there'll be opportunity for individuals to maybe put some recommended names. And then, again, the number one priority is make sure that staff has the ability to move forward. Yeah. Thank you for Thank your comment. Thank you. Commissioner LaFosso? Uh, just to follow up, I want to give some lift to my colleague, Commissioner Kaufman. I mean, I appreciate the staff work done, but I think the, the request was appropriately complying with the Brown Act, we make some suggestions, staff comes back with a list, fully respecting the work, uh, the workload issues, we can incorporate that in our prioritization, but I think getting all the requests on the table and any input about, and not making, we're not gonna ask you for hours, you know, you, you know what ones are the easy, the hard, and the super hard. Um, so I, I think this very worthwhile first step is pretty doable. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Any no further comments? Uh, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>